Loki has come and gone, but where does it fit on our Marvel Studios rankings? We place both the God of Mischief and Black Widow on our official MCU leaderboards. We also draft the most underrated MCU characters with special guest Barstool's Clem. We're also going to run through all the week's top news. And oh, we got the sensational Loki composer, Natalie Holt, on the show in just a bit. It's an all-new edition of the Direct Podcast with a very special guest host, and it's in your ears right now. Truth is, I am a Jedi, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! Blow that piece of junk out of the sky! See you in a minute. Come in. I can do this all day. This is the way. But I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm vengeance. I'll show you the dark side. Why did you say that, Dad? Come on! Let's get nuts. Assemble. It's episode 43 of the Direct Podcast. It's here, it's in your ears, and we got a lot to talk about. I'm your host, the content machine, Liam Crowley, usually joined by my co-host, one half of the newlywed couple, Matt Remke who is on island time at the moment. Matt? That is right, Liam. I am in Mexico with my brand new wife celebrating. So to fill in for me today, brought in the big guns, the Funko King himself, the notorious JRB, the Direct.com's very own John Ross Bradford. I'll be joining you for a few segments down the line, but JR is going to fill in in the meantime. Thank you, JR. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Matt, for that wonderful intro. Congratulations on your new marriage. And Liam, I'm very happy to be joining you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for taking the time, John Ross. It was obviously a massive week for you with everything that went on with both exclusive articles coming out as Matt teased right there and also the big interview that we'll get to later in the show. But before we get into all that, I did want to thank the listeners real quick. Big milestone for the podcast this week. We peaked at number 23 on the iTunes charts, which is massive considering two months ago when we first started charting, we were number 59. So we have jumped, I think that's 37 spots. I'm not really that good at math, but we've, we've <laughs> doubled our, our placement in less than two months, which is astronomical. It all comes down to the listeners, you guys supporting the show, reviewing the show, interacting with us on socials. It genuinely means the world. But we're not done yet. We still got more and more ground to make up. We want to enter that top 10, baby, before the end of the year. So keep sending in those iTunes reviews. They genuinely help out the show so, so much. And from myself, from Matt, from John Ross, our special guest host, we cannot thank you enough. John Ross, before we get into the top news, I do have a quick question for you this week to kick things off. Uh, Marvel Studios executive Victoria Alonso recently revealed that Marvel Studios is going to have an animation branch and a mini studio of the grander Marvel Studios at some point in the near future. We obviously have What If on the docket premiering next month, but this kind of alludes to a lot more animated projects within MCU canon coming sooner rather than later. So now I ask you the big, big question. What is your dream animated Marvel Studios project? Oh, man. Uh, it's got to be Fantastic Four versus the X-Men, and it's not even close. Ooh. That kind of matchup put into animation releases any sort of restraint or uh, any way that you had to hold back. You don't have to do that. You can make it look however you want 
whichever way you want without any CGI making it look distracting. I think that's the perfect platform and the perfect like version of content for them to release that. I love it. I love it. And I believe that is a animated cartoon that's been touched on before because I, I do remember is. seeing it on Disney Plus in the legacy mm -hmm. tab somewhere. Mine is kind of a bit of a nostalgia pick, but I would love to see an MCU inspired take on the superhero squad. Are you familiar? Yes, I am. <laughs> I loved the superhero squad. I still have my little Doctor Strange figure. Oh, no. From the show. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but when that music hit, you know, superhero squad, hero up, it was so epic. I tried to watch a couple episodes the other day when I was just bored on Disney Plus. Um, it doesn't doesn't quite hold up. It was definitely tailored <laughs> to a younger version of myself. But getting a take on the superhero squad, a campy Saturday morning cartoon with MCU characters, MCU suits, I think that's something that could be really really fun. There's a lot to work with there. I think you'd be tapping into a, a whole new audience too. So I, I like it. Hey, it would be a, a breeding ground for a new generation of, of MCU <laughs> fans. I, I think I think we got someone there. Victoria Alonzo, make sure to hit me up if you want me to flesh out that idea further. But without further ado, we got so much news coming at you this week. You know it. You'll love it. It's the sizzle reel. Bow, 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 bow. Kicking things off, as always, with some Marvel news. The MCU streaming content this year is not done yet. Marvel Studios executive Victoria Alonso recently confirmed that both Miss Marvel and Hawkeye are still slated to arrive in 2021. No specific release dates were given, but fans can expect both premieres sometime this fall. Will Red Guardian return? What is Val up to? Was Yelena snapped? These are the questions we have leaving Black Widow, and the last one will be answered soon. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige confirmed you will find out what Yelena Belova's status was during that five-year gap. Very exciting indeed. Sticking with MCU film news, Blade has found its director. Young filmmaker Bassam Tariq is tapped to, to direct the Vampire Hunters reboot, starring Mahershala Ali in the title role. Whew. Switching over to the worlds of DC, the Suicide Squad reactions are in, and oh my god, are they positive. The James Gunn-led flick is being called bonkers, super rad, gloriously insane, visually stunning, etc., etc. You get the picture. In the grand scheme of things, hype is real high for this. Hype is high indeed. On the streaming side, HBO Max's Batgirl has finally found its Barbara Gordon. In the Heights breakout star, Leslie Grace has been tapped to play the titular role. And finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is bringing back a couple familiar faces. Bird Box's Vivian Lyra Blair has reportedly been cast as a young Leia, while everyone's favorite droid pair of R2-D2 and C-3PO are rumored to appear in the show as well. And for more news on What If, The Flash, The Mandalorian Season 3, and so much more, be sure to head over on to the direct Com. For the people in the back, one more time, Matt, I got you way down in Mexico. That is the direct.com. John Ross, before we kick things off with all the news I just read, we did have some breaking news just a couple of minutes ago before we hit record that we didn't uh, get to squeeze into the sizzle reel. And that comes with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Apparently, uh, according to, I believe it's Variety, uh, Mich Michaela Cole has joined the ensemble cast 
of the sequel. Mm. Michaela Cole is previously known for her work in Black Mirror, specifically on the episode USS Callister, as well as Star Wars The Last Jedi, which John Ross, you pointed out, is just an unnamed role, but still, she was in a Star Wars film. She's got big <laughs> budget experience. What are your initial reactions to Black Panther adding another big name to its ensemble cast? My initial reaction is, oh crap, because now we're gonna spend the next few months trying to figure out who she's playing. Um, you know, the cast list always tends to leak before the roles are revealed. Um, so it's anyone's guess who she's going to play. But since we're bringing in another new character, I'm going to hold my hopes out that we're going to be introducing some mutants by then. And maybe, maybe we could be looking at our storm of the MCU. You tell me we might get Aurora Monroe in this sequel? <laughs> it could be. See, here's the thing. You, you got to... You got to will it into existence. You know, if you're just going to sit back and wait for it, it's not going to happen. But if you're banging on Kevin Feige's door saying we want the X-Men, he, well, he's still going to do it on his own time. But we really <laughs> want it. We really want it. If, if that is indeed the case, uh, Black Panther 2 becomes the one of the most consequential films in phase four because the rumors are already circulating that Namor is going to make his presence felt. So we're now diving into the worlds of Atlantis within this film. And Aurora Monroe is not exactly a, a Z-list X-Men to introduce into the MCU. That's one of the A-listers. She's one of the core members of that 2000s Fox X-Men team. So if that is indeed the case, we could be looking at something pretty, pretty big. And John Ross, I definitely agree. The speculation is not going to slow down in the next coming <laughs> weeks, months, year, etc. We shall see when the time comes. But other than that, we still got a ton of stories in the sizzle reel to dive into this week. John Ross, special guest host, Dealer's Choice. What do you want to talk about first? I want to talk about all these, uh, everything that's up in the air with Black Widow. We got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kate Shortland recently just said, I think it was her, um, or it might've been Kevin Feige, but one of them said that they would actually want to see Red Guardian take on Sam Wilson's Captain America. And the fact that they're even considering that means that we're going to see him again. So I, what I really want to know is... In what capacity is he going to return? Like, how are they going to make it make sense now that it's present day and, you know, he's aged and, and you know, fresh out of prison, really? It's a, it's a very interesting um, concept that they've kind of laid the groundwork for. And I do 100% agree that he will be back. David Harbour is too big of a name for a one-off pitcher. And I know, you know, we have our Michael Keaton's, our Jake Gyllenhaal's that might have just been in the MCU to say hello and then pass along. But still, David Harbour is someone who I think is itching for a big franchise. Stranger Things obviously has done that for him, but he was in a you know forgettable role in Suicide Squad in 2016. That obviously didn't turn into anything future in DC. They tried to reboot Hellboy. It was a bomb at the box office. This is his shot to really attach himself to a cinematic franchise. What better than the MCU? Red Guardian versus Sam Wilson, I'm interested in just for the implications of a Russian versus American storyline there. There's big implications. And he says that he fought Cap in the 80s. Was that Cap Isaiah Bradley potentially? I don't know if the prison dates really line up because he said he was in prison for however many years. And he, I feel like he was more uh, Korean War, was it, that he was fighting in in like mm -hmm. the 50s and whatnot. So right. remains to be seen if those add up. But I would love to see Red Guardian return in a capacity uh, specifically in a, in a Captain America 4, which we can expect probably at some point in the next couple of years. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, that's one I'll take sooner rather than later for sure. 
Let's talk about the other stuff with Black Widow as well. Yelena being snapped. Uh, I feel like that's pretty obvious when we're going to find this out. I would imagine Hawkeye. (laughs) And my bold prediction off the top is I think we're going to get a cold open very, very similar to, I believe it was episode four of WandaVision when Monica Rambeau comes back and her world is all shell-shocked. And then we get into an episode that specifically explores Mm. Monica's character. We kind of put Wanda and Vision to the side. I think we get an episode very similar focused on Yelena finding her footing in this world without a supporting cast around her. We kind of ditch Hawkeye. We ditch Kate Bishop for a little bit. We focus fully on our fan favorite blonde version of Black Widow. And I think we hit the ground running. What are your thoughts? I agree. I, I, it was recently confirmed that she's, it's not just going to be like a cameo. She's in multiple episodes. So Whew. this, this series is going to focus on Yelena, whether, you know, the Hawkeye fans want it to or not. I'm cool with it. Cause I like her a lot. Um, and I hope they flesh her out a little more because I want to see her um, in an independent role rather than, you know, buddy, buddy with her sister. Uh, and that's, you know, no, I'm not talking poorly of Black Widow, but I, now that we've seen that, I want to see how she fares on her own, you know, because um, that alley scene where they first introduced her in Black Widow, that was intense. I mean, I want I want to see more of that for sure. Um, but yeah, the 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 fact that they're not willing to tell us now but we'll find out i guess in the hawkeye series means that it's probably going to be a pretty big part of the reason why she's even in the series at all so it almost seems like they have to do what you're saying where very similarly to monica they kind of show elena during that time i personally think she probably was snapped away because i don't know why you know natasha would have gone the five years without even trying to find her or something um but i'm sure the story is much more complex than that and I'm really excited to see the implications that it'll have on, you know, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye, who still hasn't met her yet, or might not even know she exists. And then also Kate Bishop, another new character, if she encounters Yelena, that'll be even cooler. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot up in the air with that. But I think it'll play out really, really well for fans that, that, you know, latched on to Yelena the way they did. Yeah, you mentioned that alley scene. I, I want to see that alley scene stretched across an entire episode. I feel like Yelena mm-hmm. is one of those characters where, especially now that she's free from the mind control, but I feel like she's definitely going to want to tap into that dark side a little bit more, which is a very intriguing uh, motive going forward. If she kind of rides the balance between good and evil, like sure, she might be operating as a semi-good guy, but she'll she'll snap a couple necks along the way. Like this is this is someone who I don't think Uh, is going to blink when it comes to taking down her enemies and her relationship with Hawkeye is something I'm very much looking forward to. And speaking of Hawkeye, John Ross, we're getting it later this year, which is crazy. Along with Miss Marvel, looking at the giant film slate or just uh, slate in general from 2021 from Marvel Studios, that will mark five shows. We don't know if Hawkeye will complete in 2021, but five live action shows from Marvel after taking a year off. I had the bigger picture discussion with Matt a couple weeks ago as to whether or not we're getting oversaturated. But when I hear this news, I can't help but smile because Loki was such a good time and I want to dive back into Marvel Wednesdays, Marvel Fridays, whatever it's going to be ASAP as possible. I want to get back into it. So I kind of want to get your thoughts. Miss Marvel and Hawkeye coming later this year. Is that rushed in your opinion or do you think it's properly paced? I I don't want to call it rushed because they, you know, they told us pretty early on that they, well, they promised that they would come out this year. Um, but as we're getting closer to the end of the year, it kind of feels more and more like squished, like everything's becoming more compact. 
because they're being released so closely together. Um, and even just with Black Widow coming out um, before Loki finished, I mean, there was a lot that felt like a lot of like an influx of content, you know? Um, so the fact that they're going to be doing that on the regular now is kind of surprising to me um, because I, I agree it could get oversaturated for fans that aren't as committed to, you know, knowing and loving this stuff, you know, like if you want to go uh, Memorial Day weekend to go see, I think, uh, Doctor Strange, or no, that's March, but uh, whatever the summer movie is, if you want to go see Thor. that. Thor Love and Thunder, I think so. Thor Love and Thunder, thank you. If you want to go see that, you better hope none of the Disney Plus shows connect to it if you haven't caught up on them, you know? I mean, that's a lot to ask, is that every, you know, few weeks now they're releasing either a, a two-hour movie or six hours worth of a Disney Plus show, you know? It is going to be a lot, and I think a big question that is going to be on people's minds is uh, which kind of movie overlaps which kind of show because Black Widow and Loki immediately after Black Widow ended everyone started talking about Kang and that Loki finale right just because not that Black Widow wasn't good it was good for what it was but it was kind of inconsequential to the greater MCU what happens when Hawkeye's like third or fourth episode airs and that weekend Spider-Man No Way Home comes out did you just kill all of Hawkeye's momentum for the rest of the season or in a wild multiverse alternate dimension does Hawkeye overtake Spider-Man's momentum. I don't think that would ever happen, but <laughs> it does beg the question of what kind of projects should clash. I think Black Widow and Loki were kind of a perfect crossover in terms mm -hmm. of them happening at the same time, but right. Eternals and Miss Marvel, those are two brand new characters being introduced. Do you really want to kill the momentum of one uh, and force the other to, to shine. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be telling based on box office, of course. Um, but I don't know, I guess time will tell as to whether or not we can handle uh, this kind of crossover situation that's going on on Disney plus. You can kind of tell they're I wouldn't call it worried, but you, you can tell they're being very conscious of it. Like uh, Eternals and Shang-Chi, their trailers are just chock full of MCU references. And I feel like that's because they're about to get to a place where they are ready to introduce these new characters, but they're doing so many so close together that they want to almost remind the audience like, hey, this is part of what we've been doing for a while. You're just getting a lot more of it now. Um, almost to, I, I don't know, kind, not kind of incentivize, you know, keeping up with the content, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot on our plates as, as journalists of this kind of stuff, but we're the men for the job. We're here to do it. We, we can't wait. Honestly, it's the stuff that puts smiles on our faces. Before we get out of here, I do want to talk a little DC, a little Star Wars. Uh, Batgirl, big casting news today. We talked about the breaking news with Marvel. Batgirl has cast Barbara Gordon for the first time, I believe, in, in cinematic history, or at least in the in the 21st century that I can think of. Barbara Gordon is going to be played by none other than Leslie Grace from In the Heights. If you don't know her, I don't blame you because she's only been in In the Heights. She's a, <laughs> she's a Latin American musician uh, throughout the 2010s, had some success um, in her specific markets, made the transition over to film, and wowed people enough at HBO that they penned her to be the lead girl for HBO Max's Batgirl. John Ross, I know we don't know too much about the actress, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on HBO Max developing a Batgirl movie, a streaming exclusive movie. We're so used to series being focused on the streaming side. What are your thoughts on a movie coming from DC Comics exclusively on HBO Max? 
a Batgirl movie coming from DC Comics is super, super exciting. That's a character I've wanted to see be fully adapted and, and actually given the time to, you know, uh, kind of develop as a character for a really long time. It's the HBO Max part that's making me hesitant because, I mean, it's just, it's HBO Max. I mean, <laughs> they they just don't have that track record yet. And if Netflix came out and said they were doing something like this, I'd be 100% on board. But Warner Brothers is constantly tripping over their own feet and kind of mucking up the waters even more to where you're having a harder and harder time understanding even what they're even working on anymore. You know, I, I, there are some projects that I thought were still in development that ended up getting scrapped weeks, weeks ago, months ago. Um, so the HBO Max part kind of makes me pull back a little, but I'm still going to see it because Batgirl is a character just like Nightwing that needs live action time that deserves it and that the fans want to see. So it is encouraging that they're finally branching out like this it's just where it's being released on and who's producing it. That's kind of, you know, making me back off a little. Which is very fair, but I'll, I'll kind of offer a counter perspective on it. I almost like it being on HBO Max more than theaters, specifically because when it's offered on a streaming service exclusively, I feel like that tailors to more creative freedom. There's less of a risk. There's no real potential for it to like bomb, like sure you could look at viewership numbers and did people watch this thing? But at the end of the day, if you're paying for HBO Max, you're paying for Batgirl, you're paying for Euphoria, you're paying for reruns of Game of Thrones that you might never watch, but that's all going to Warner Brothers. If this was a box office movie, I feel like Leslie Grace doesn't get cast. I feel like they go with someone a lot more well-known. I feel like they very much get their hands on the script and maybe do a little studio meddling that Warner Brothers is known to do with their theatrical releases. This going to HBO Max specifically, I think is a really good move because it allows for that creative freedom that we all yearn for uh, when it comes to DC Comics properties. And on top of that, it allows them to take a risk with a relatively unknown star in Leslie Grace. And I think that that's a risk worth taking because you always want to attach a star that can be with, with your universe for a decade to come. And I don't think getting someone super established who might only want to sign a two-pitcher deal, a three-pitcher deal would work out in the long run. Getting Leslie Grace now, uh, you know, capitalizing on a hot young talent because everyone is raving about her performance from In the Heights, which premiered in both theaters and HBO Max a couple months ago. So, you know, she's white hot right now. Strike while the iron's hot. Lock her up for uh, Batgirl. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to work out in the long run. I think so too. I, I, I'm curious how they're going to introduce another like Batman story without also bringing in yet another like Bruce Wayne, but may, maybe it'll, they'll make it work with the movies they're doing. I really hope so. Because as you mentioned, we do have a lot of Batman properties going on <laughs> at once. We'll round stuff off with some Star Wars news. It's, it's Star Wars and streaming. So, you know, they're going to tap into nostalgia. And honestly, this one doesn't feel that's surprising and it feels warranted from a story perspective. Princess Leia, R2-D2, C-3PO, all rumored, reported, slated to be back in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. These are all characters that were around, you know, Kenobi during this time period. It only makes sense. I think we all would have been a little shocked if we didn't see a young Luke or a young Leia in this show. Luke is still up in the air, but Leia has been cast and R2-D2, C-3PO, we know those droids are roaming around on Tatooine around this time anyways. John Ross, is this a good move to bring back more nostalgia or would you rather focus on new characters? No, I, I think it's smart because 
like nine out of 10 people you ask, you know, what do you want from this Obi-Wan series? They want to see the aftermath of Revenge of the Sith. So um, I don't think it's a bad move at all. I think it, I think this makes perfect sense and it'll be able to draw in a wider audience because they'll have that familiarity with characters that span across literally like all of those movies. Um, so as long as they don't harp on it for too long, you know, it's, it's properly placed and, you know, makes sense on the narrative. Um, I think this is exactly the route they should take. I agree. Um, this is the show that I think is the perfect avenue for those characters to reappear. I think the Mandalorian, I think the Acolyte in a couple years is where you want to flesh out new characters, unique stories within the ever expansive world of Star Wars. But I do agree that Obi-Wan is a show that I call it like nostalgia, but at the same time, it's appropriately placed because this is a story wedged between two very, very familiar time periods of the galaxy. And what people want from this show, as was teased, they want that rematch between Obi-Wan and Vader, even though some people will wince at that because maybe it diminishes the line in A New Hope. Regardless, <laughs> uh, a lot of characters that are coming back, uh, it's going to offer a, a new perspective on movies that are coming up on 50 years old, which is always refreshing. I love getting to watch stuff uh, with a new layer on top of it, a new lens, if you will. So yeah, I can't wait for this Obi-Wan show. It is currently my most anticipated Star Wars project, as it is for most people. And yep. I think news like this only encourages it to get high on people's radars. That's going to do it for the sizzle reel this week. We had so much news to get into, but we still have a packed show ahead, including an interview with one of the most integral members of Loki's crew. John Ross, tell us about it. Yeah, so I uh, I actually, when I first heard that Natalie Holt was going to be scoring the Loki series, this was back in January when I was actually, I had the assignment of reporting that for our website at thedirect.com. Um, and so since then, I've been going back and forth with uh, both Natalie Holt herself um, and her uh, PR team, um, just trying to find a, a good time to, you know, sit down and talk about her work. Because as you guys know, she really wasn't known for much before this other than uh, scoring uh, Paddington. Um, that was like her biggest one yet. Now it's not by, I mean, it's Loki far and wide, but um, yeah, no. So when I reached out to her, she got back to me right away, but she said her Marvel non-disclosure agreement wouldn't allow her to say much of anything until the series was over. So um, a few months passed, I touched base just to make sure she remembered me. <laughs> and then once uh, the finale was coming around, I reached out to her team again and, and asked if they'd be willing to talk about it. Uh, and they got back to me right away, said, yeah, they'd love to. Um, so I, I got to talk to Natalie Holt about the amazing score that she wrote for Loki, the theme she wrote for the TVA, which she later revealed was actually written for Kang the Conqueror the whole time. Hmm. And I also got to talk to her a little bit about Star Wars. So without further ado, here is the Direct's exclusive interview with Loki composer, Natalie Holt. Hey guys, this is JRB, John Ross Bradford with thedirect.com here, and I'm joined by none other than the woman who can pull at your heartstrings with a single chord. The dazzling, the enchanting composer for Marvel Studios Loki, Ms. Natalie Holt. Ms. Holt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today about what I think is one of the best Marvel scores that's ever been written. <laughs> oh, that's high praise indeed. Thank you. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, since Loki just wrapped up, you know, we're finally able to have this talk. Um, as you know, we've been going back and forth since the beginning of the year when your 
involvement was first reported. And, uh, you know, since then, I've just been sitting here anxiously waiting to see what you've got for us. And I made a few bold claims that that you would just come out hot right out the gate. And uh, boy, if I was ever right. So, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, I just have to say I was truly blown away by everything that you brought to each new episode. So thank you. Thank you. So yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to like finally talk about it all as well, because, you know, we're, we're not allowed to sort of mention until each episode's aired. So, yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? I mean, you, it, how did it feel to see a bunch of people on social media, uh, TikTok especially, my goodness, uh, doing, you know, tribute versions of your music and using your sound bites for their videos? How was that? <laughs> um, I've, I've kind of like not uh, yeah I've I had to like filter it a bit because it's it's been kind of overwhelming <laughs> yeah it's cool yeah it's, it's it, very flattering that people it, seem to like it so much it takes a lot to do something like that I mean um WandaVision specifically had a pretty unique tune to it but really only the biggest MCU projects like Endgame really see that sort of success and and you did it right away so congratulations um Specifically speaking on success, Loki's song, uh, Very Full from episode three, debuted at number 10 on Billboard's World Digital Song uh, Sales. Did what it? Was, what, was your, uh, what was your process like for writing that one? Is that what you expected to see oh, from no. that song? I didn't, I didn't write that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. Um, oh, no, sadly, I can't. No, I, I don't know. Like that was like a Norwegian song that was already in existence I just was arranged the strings on it um so yeah I think I've only got an arranger credit on that one um but yeah like I just Tom was kind of singing it a cappella, and I think they'd already shot it when I came on board but he he was just singing it on his own in a train carriage um and everyone was kind of standing around slightly awkwardly looking at him um and when we watched it, we were just kind of saying like, oh, it'd be, it's such a shame. It like needs to feel a bit more riotous. Like he's kind of got everybody going and people are kind of joining in because um, otherwise it feels a bit awkward <laughs> that he's <laughs> singing in a room on his own. Um, so I kind of was like, oh, maybe it, maybe it would be cool if we could, um, if it was like someone had an alien space instrument on the train and they got kind of pissed and, and pulled their instrument out and just like jammed along with him. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of came up with this string backing for him to sing with and it just, and they shot this, they came back in and shot this um, girl playing on this instrument, which they had in the props cupboard from, I think it was from Endgame. Um, and added that in afterwards and, and just, yeah, gave the scene more life. <laughs> wow, so how much of your work on Loki then was kind of on the fly like that where something was already prepared for you to build upon? Um, oh, that was the only moment like that, to be honest. <laughs> there, was, there wasn't any other singing in there. So everything else was like up for grabs, um, including, you know, like there were moments like that D.B. Cooper sequence in episode one where they had a track in there that was working, you know, that they could have licensed. But um, we kind of got through the score part of the process. And then um, Kate Heron was like, oh, do you, I reckon it would be really cool if we could do a kind of, salsa version of the Loki theme and tie it up with his theme and um and I was like yeah cool yeah give it a crack and and then um yeah that D.B. Cooper kind of worked out like a mad Loki samba. That was a lot of fun it, it was very cool to kind of hear the show's theme even in that yeah. instance how it's kind of mixed in in, di in different ways so that's very cool. Um, yeah. Now I know uh, Kate Heron the director of the show 
um, didn't submit the final episode or two of Loki until after the season had already started. Uh, and you had also mentioned in a past interview that you built the score for Loki around the finale's theme. Uh, can you expand on, you know, what the building process of this score was actually like when, when everything was kind of, you know, I, I guess kind of all over the place? Yeah, it was just, um, it was kind of like working on a, a movie. I kind of worked across all of it at the same time before kind of going in more depth into each episode. So um, Kate, when Kate was shooting um, Jonathan Majors in episode six, um, that was really, that was like in August or September maybe. And she, she was like, oh, I want you to see these dailies that we're getting of his performance. Cause I think it's gonna help you kind of get, dig into episode six. So yeah, she was sending me, I was like watching, you know, them on set, like at the end of each day. And I was just kind of so inspired by how he was, how he was playing He Who Remains. Um, and then I came up with that theme for him, um, which is, then I was like, oh, it's like the TVA theme, which is building up because he's behind it all. So like the thing that you've been hearing all the way through is his theme because he's behind it. So yeah, like when you hear the final version of the Kang theme in the episode six credits, that's like in, in its full glory. Mm. And it's been it's been going there the whole time. So that was that was really cool to do that. I think the thing that took quite a while in episode six um was the opening with that like that idea of doing the the MCU logo with the talking heads. And and that was like an idea that Emma the editor had really late on. Um, and then like, oh we could have it like, you know, different pieces and and it's like all all of time kind of mashed up in the timeline and um so yeah like piecing that together that that, that idea for for how to arrive at the, the it, it, in the palace was just kind of yeah that was so cool when 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 i saw that i was like yes that's perfect like <laughs> that opening was yeah. truly epic and very unique even for the mcu so were you, did you know that that would include the actual voices of MCU stars like Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Evangeline Lilly, Chris Pratt. Did you know any of that? Yeah, I saw it. Like Emma just kind of um, kind of put it together as an idea and, and we all watched it in one of the reviews and it's like, oh, it's so good. Like, yeah, everybody, everybody loved it. So, yeah. That's very really awesome. Cool. How many, how many hands how many different hands went into to making that opening sequence? Cause that honestly, that's one of the, like the, the bigger parts of this show that a lot of people weren't expecting. Oh, what was it? Kevin, Kevin Feige had some, he watched it and had some suggestions for things to add in there as well. Um, so yeah, it, it was just like a, bl a blend of, I think Kate and Emma um, and then everyone just chipping in and throwing ideas in and Emma, the, the she's Australian. So she was like, I think we need some Kylie Minogue. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like licensed you know different pieces of music and like um different voices from around the world and and there's like I think there's a k-pop track in there and stuff so yeah it's just it's, it's kind of meant to be the whole of of humanity and the universe like thrown together yeah that Hopefully was a gives you that feeling it was a super creative way to to start the finale to to really kind of communicate the depth of the situation and and to remind viewers that this is it's about everything that we've already seen as well as you know what's to come um something i was super curious about was actually the tva so a big task that was put on you was making the tva feel otherworldly 
despite the TVA itself consisting almost entirely of human variants. Um, so what inspiration did you take to kind of help communicate that through your work? Um, well, I think um, th th there's definitely like a blend of different eras going on there. And you see that um, alien, that kind of green, I got it, I don't, I can't remember. Yeah, you, you do see like a few different races of, of um, aliens in, in there at the beginning. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, Kate Heron just, and the production designer kind of gave it that really like analog timeless feel like there's sort of elements of Stanley Kubrick in there and there's kind of references to the 50s with some of the dress and and um and yeah the the kind of way I processed the score to make it feel quite analog to go with that kind of knobs and buttons kind of aesthetic of the TVA um but yeah I ran it through like a tape machine and used lots of kind of ticking clocks and and church bells and stuff as as kind of like yeah I it was just kind of finding the thing that seemed to fit what I was seeing I guess well it worked it worked really well <laughs> um Loki the whole show is filled with so many ups and and downs and, and twists and turns and uh the you know a lot of the depth of each individual situation in the show has to be communicated through the music um because I feel like, you know, I wouldn't have gotten half as excited in some scenes if it wasn't for the score behind them. So what what was your biggest challenge working on this series? Um, I think it was it was just like um, my biggest challenge. The, the love theme was what what whatever it is between Loki and Sylvie. It's such <laughs> a mystery. I was being like slightly roasted on the Internet for <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw this incest problem people were having yesterday. I, I, just to clarify, like, I guess I meant that that Loki seems to have a really terrible time connecting with, with love. And he's, you know, you see Sif, he's cut her hair off after they've had an evening together. And she's, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he struggles with love. And the, the closest connection he's had to a woman is, is with his mother. And, and this is like a version of himself. She's not his sister. She's she's a version of him. It's more like that narcissus falling in love with your own reflection. So for me, I'm not I'm not kind of condoning it or whatever it is. It's it's a it is kind of like falling in love with yourself. It's it's kind of like full that love that you feel with a family member. It's it's like that kind of feeling of love that you have that Loki has. To his mother and that's why I felt like Sylvie and his mother were connected because you've never seen him have a deep connection with another character like that before apart from those two moments absolutely um, yeah. so yeah that's that was kind of kind of that yeah that 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 was tricky to find the right balance because it isn't like an all all out romance there's something more nuanced and weird about it Right, right. Yeah, the very nature of that relationship was just a bunch of question marks. So, yeah. <laughs> so that, was probably, that was probably the most challenging thing was just like, yeah, finding the right balance with that. And um, yeah, I think also that moment um, where, where he's stabbed, where, where Sylvie stabs he who remains at the end. Because um, I'd done like, oh, this is the end of episode six. It needs to be huge. And like, I went away after, after spotting um, you know like going through the um the episode with with the team 
and I, I kind of did a weekly we'd have weekly catch-ups and my play them stuff and and I played them like my first attempt at that end sequence where she pushes Loki through the door and then stabs Kang and then threw into the timeline it was like massive and like loads of drive and like the stabbing was just like like totally over the top huge like this is the end of episode six and Kate Heron was like no (laughs) (laughs) strip it back strip it back strip back and she she really made me like pull back and she was like no this moment's like so we've got we're we need to the audience needs to feel so confused like there's so many different things going on here like we can't be telling them and too much like we don't want to be leading them and holding their hand through this with a big piece of music saying it's all okay or 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 it's all terrible she was like people need to just be like losing their minds at this moment like what the f is going on and and like um and she and we just felt like that that's a better thing to leave it emptier for people to interpret it in their own way which I think is is a super smart direction from Kate um and she is a smart director she's amazing um and yeah like once Sylvie sat down on the floor and you see her like she's taking in like oh my gosh he was telling the truth what have I done what have I unleashed and then that cello comes in and it's like this sadness and then you see that shot of Loki's face and it's again it's like he's just like (gasps) and then it kind of picks up again and like once he's running through the TVA and it's like spinning around that moment's like okay we're we're off we're like something's happening again and then it's like absolutely killed dead in the water by seeing that statue realizing (laughs) absolutely that was another thing I wanted to ask you about that final scene with the um Kang or Immortal I know um, Kate Heron just cleared it up for us recently saying that he's kind of just he's not exactly Kang he's not Immortus you know he really is kind of just a mix just like kind of the way Sylvie is but that last shot of the statue of he who remains who will call Kang eventually it was heavily reliant on the music so what was the process behind creating the score for that specific very impactful final scene well like as I said that that piece was there from the beginning like I always mm that was the that was my like Kang theme um that I came up with so I knew that like everything's been leading to that moment you hear that TVA theme and you realize like who it really belongs to like so um yeah that was I just and then the choir and getting to do that live um and the like I kind of added that soaring line on the theremin and like got my this um Adam Betts the percussionist was just like did these kind of huge drums and yeah just I, I love bringing that moment together that was really fun it took ages to mix I think <laughs> my engineer had to like get a different license for Pro Tools because there were so many tracks <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> that's incredible you know the uh I, I like how you mentioned that the the finale you pulled back in that final scene before really getting into that Kang thing I feel like it it left more room for it where it, it felt more um I guess more pivotal but you know, the talk of the town was the 32 voice choir that you included in the final two episodes. Um, and since, you know, the the ending moments in the show, you, you, you know, you pulled back a little to leave room for that emotion. Was there ever a point in the show where you did say, you know, let's go as big as we possibly can? Yeah, I think it was the um, Richard E. Grant, you know, the classic Loki building that was like, this, this needs to be epic, like huge, 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 huge. Um, 
that that was a, a big moment that was just all out you know that throw everything at this <laughs> that was easily one of my favorite moments so the yeah the music totally built that up even further um you know i i this may feel a little redundant but i want to know specifically on the day that the finale dropped you know earlier this week um i saw you tweet out that you know we would find out who the tva theme really belonged to which was obviously ended up being the biggest reveal in the show. Um, what was like the main feeling or emotion that you wanted to evoke through that theme music that you had been building up to the entire series? Um, yeah, I guess it's just kind of um, someone who's, there's like a majesty, there's like a superpower to, to this, this kind of God, you know, he, he's got this kind of, yeah, the super being that's that's in charge of time. Like, I don't think you can get bigger than that. So it's just feeling like, and, and there's something that, that there's a beauty to it as well. I think when Loki looks out at the TVA in the first episode, and I remember Kevin Wright, the um, creative producer of the show, just saying like, I, I think I did something different there. And he was like, oh, when he looks out and sees the TVA, it, it needs to be like, you're looking in the face of God and, and there's beauty there and there's horror and there's that, there's like double-edged thing. Um, and that moment where he looks out and see, he was like, I think he needs to feel kind of the beauty of it at that moment. So I felt like that's a facet of it too. Like it's just, it's kind of, um, yeah. There's And the way that the character that we now know who's playing it and how how he's playing it with with that kind of, playfulness as well I, I think it's just yeah he's such a great a great actor such mm. such an amazing performance I'm so excited I just yeah I want to see what he does with that more with that character now I, I think it goes without saying that Marvel can really only deliver their biggest moments now if everyone involved agrees you know not to spill the beans um <laughs> Was there any part of the series that Marvel like didn't let you in on or did you know like start to finish exactly how this was gonna go? Um, I mean, yeah, the security's tight, like, um, and you have to just be like checked and, you know, I didn't, I I'd had to go through all these processes before I was able to read all of the scripts. Um, and, but yeah, I guess once, once they kind of know that you've been cleared, then you have to kind of be on board and, be part of it so yeah okay. I kind of knew where it was all going but yeah all right um, now since the whole series is out now um, fans are looking back at the trailers and noticing shots that they were seeing then that didn't make it into the final cut of the show were there any tracks you made or, or themes you came up with that didn't make the cut um yeah I don't know if Kate's talked about the frog of thunder I think because you see like the little um, Thor frog in the, like when you track down through the underground layer mm -hmm. through the earth and you see that little like jam jar with a frog in it. Like that's when Loki turns Thor to a frog. And um, that was a moment in um, episode one. Um, it was what like part of his part, you know, all the things when Mobius is showing him his life Sure, in the in the time theater, yeah. Yeah, there were more moments in there. I think they just kind of cut it down to kind of give it a bit more focus. 
but um there are a few extra moments in there and and that frog of thunder moment was one of them and like I'd actually written I'd done something with choir for it like it was this big grand moment where Loki takes over the crown um in Asgard and and then yeah you see Thor as a frog <laughs> wait so that shot of, of Loki okay I don't know if I should be talking about <laughs> no one's ever mentioned I'm, I'm curious. I think Kate, Kate was hoping to release it as a kind of like extra scene at some point but I don't know I don't know where they are with that I remember reading her uh interview on it where she it was shortly after the episode with Throg or Frog Thor came out um and she had said that it was supposed to be included in that sequence at the beginning um is that the same sequence that fans are seeing in the trailer where Loki's in the throne room as if he's yeah, ruling Asgard he's like rising like this and he's wearing a crown yeah that that was part of him oh wow yeah okay oh that makes sense everyone was so curious why that shot specifically didn't make it in and now we know okay but it was it was gonna be in I don't think it got cut till quite late down the line um and it yeah it's a fun fun scene but it just didn't it felt like it kind of it was too off piece. Like, I think they were like, well, we've had the DB Cooper and we need to like really get into the nuts and bolts of like Loki needs to be kind of broken down in episode one. And it was like too many of those lighthearted moments just mm -hmm. didn't, it just felt like it, I think it plays, it played better without it, but it was a really fun moment. Sure. So I read that when you accepted this role, um, the only MCU film you really weren't familiar with was Ant-Man. Um, which is, I mean, totally common, but I know Christoph Beck has already talked to uh, Marvel about making his return for their third film, but has have they spoken to you at all about lending a hand in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania after setting the tone so well for that franchise's next big villain? Uh, no, I haven't, no? I haven't, haven't been um, approached for any of that. Um, Are there any other Marvel properties you want to lend a hand to someday or score? I'd love to keep scoring Kang. I just, I really, I think, because episode six was so fun mm. to do. And and I felt like I, I loved kind of that slightly insane, yet playful, atonal music that I was writing that seemed to go so well with his performance there. Or, um, and that Requiem, when he was giving his backstory. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to carry on working with him. But I'm, we shall see. I don't know what the future holds. <laughs> It'd be great because this was definitely a stepping off point for him. And, you know, I, we all feel like we'll be seeing a lot more of him. So hopefully we'll see a lot more of you with it. Um, but in other news, I mean, there was also some buzz on social media about you possibly providing your talents to a different branch of Disney in the Star Wars arena. And, you know, Star Wars <laughs> is pretty grand. Is that is that something you'd ever want to pursue? Oh, my gosh. I mean, like I am a film composer because of John Williams, you know, like he, E.T. and Star Wars were my kind of like soundtrack through childhood. So um, yeah, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I love that, you know, love that branch of, of, the, of the Disney content as it is now, but yeah, like, no, it was just like a fun, you know, one of those funny things on Twitter. I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing more to that. <laughs> Although okay. I wish there was. <laughs> okay. Well, to, to entertain the question, if there was a Star Wars project you could score, is there one you'd want to do? Ooh, you know, the Princess Leia one, the, it feels like it, <laughs> sadly, there's like a few, a few reasons why I'm sure, um, I don't know. I yeah, I love Princess Leia. Um I just I thought she was like the most beautiful 
woman ever and you know her that look it's it was just like I don't know she just really struck me she's like the ultimate princess and she was so badass and like you know she was kind of she could hold her own and like yeah I, I, I was so fond of her so I guess she's she's probably my my number one that's awesome yeah and I got awesome. to actually um I worked on a project with Mark Hamill and I was I was just kind of like a gibbering wreck that that I got to do that it was so fun it was nightfall and he he played like oh, the kind that's of right palette. yeah he was the kind of ultimate almost like the Jedi Knight training the knights <laughs> um in nightfall so that was kind of fun to have worked on a project with him absolutely yeah would you you'd want to work with him again then I'm sure yes definitely yeah awesome awesome Okay, well, I'm back to Loki. I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, you know, they didn't waste any time confirming the second season. Are you going to be a part of that? Um, I don't. I fingers crossed. I would love to be. Like it's been, it's been so much fun, and obviously, I think it's been confirmed today that Kate is not continuing on either. So, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of well, up in the air, I guess. And and what on earth it's going to be about is all up in the air as well. So. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, there's, like I said, you know, plenty of question marks all over. So, um, yeah, like okay. working for Marvel has, like, just they are such a great. I just love them. Like, and the the exec producers were so sweet. Like, they all personally called to thank me, which you know, like, you would just not expect people with that much on their plates to take the time out to do that. So, that was yeah, they're a nice bunch. <laughs> so, if you do come back, um, what themes? do you want to bring to that second season you know how are you gonna how are you gonna switch it up if you had the opportunity uh i don't know more <laughs> <laughs> so much of it depends on it right <laughs> on what it's going to be about <laughs> or, or just, could just do the whole thing on a theremin like solo theremin for the whole score i think everyone might get a little bit tired of it <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i loved the theremin i thought it was the perfect touch yeah, no, it's it, it's awesome, and I, yeah, well, I think as composers, we're only as good as you know the musicians that we have playing our music as well. So I just like I'm so thankful for everyone that played and contributed, and the music team and the Marvel music editors. Like I just had a crack team of people in the music department, and um, so yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> well, Miss Holt, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's not often I get to sit down and have a conversation with someone who's literally created one of my favorite things. Um, so thank you again. And I wish you the best of luck with everything. And I really, really hope we see you back again at Marvel Studios soon because truly you did an amazing job and it's, it's, it's incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, lovely to meet you. Love your posters. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So guys go check out Natalie Holt's work on Marvel Studios Loki on Disney plus you do not want to miss it ladies and gentlemen we are back and we are doing my favorite thing to do on the direct podcast we are ranking the marvel cinematic universe loki has wrapped black widow has been out for two weeks we've all been able to sit with it for a little bit we have pulled all the writers at the direct.com 15 plus of our amazing writers and creators over there at our incredible comic book movie news website and we have a new official rankings for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. To check out our old rankings, head over to the direct.com and type in MCU rankings because I'm currently in Mexico on my honeymoon. We did not get a chance to update that article just 
yet, but we will have it updated here very soon. Liam, I want to go to you first. Okay, mm-hmm. let's start with Black Widow. Let's just let's start with let's start with the movie, and then we can dive into the TV show on our rankings list. Before we get into your ranking of Black Widow, I want to ask you: we we saw Black Widow see the biggest drop at the box office of any MCU movie ever, dropping what was it, something like sixty eight percent from Friday to Friday. Um, do you see that as more of a drop because of the movie itself or because of the release with the Disney premiere access and this new age of movie going that we're seeing nowadays? So all the headlines are, you know, panic button. Oh my God, everyone needs to go to streaming, right? I don't think it's time to panic just yet because I think that this movie has so many asterisks going on. Disney Plus is a really weird scenario for this movie because it obviously it made 60 million on Disney Plus opening weekends, but people who buy it on Disney Plus opening weekends might not have hit play that day. You know, it might have been a family that bought the movie, realized they didn't have time to watch it, and then they catch it the next weekend. When you buy the premiere access, I'm pretty sure you got it on the service for 30 days. So there's a very good chance that people uh, that wanted to watch it first weekend saved it for the second weekend. There's a chance that people who watched it the first weekend then revisited it on Premiere Access the second weekend upon that second viewing. Because people like me and you, Matt, who went to go see Endgame three, four times in theaters, when it's on Premiere Access, you can see it three or four or 30 times and still pay the same exact price at the first time. Um, the box office dip, I think, is also due to the fact that after 90 days, I believe, it goes on Disney Plus for free. It's on your streaming service, right. seven bucks a month, however much it is. So I think a lot of people who weren't interested the first weekend heard reviews, said, okay, well, you know what? I'm good with waiting three months to catch this for free. And I think that's the big sign that people got to walk away with. A lot of people are saying, you know, great first weekend, super concerning dip the second I agree these numbers are not favorable, but I don't think it's time to hit the panic button just yet. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that this has anything to do with the movie itself. I think that there is a small, you know, um, importance to the fact that this is a prequel. This is, you know, definitely a look back MCU movie, not like something that's going to change how we move going forward in huge ways. Obviously, we saw some things coming out of Black Widow with Yelena and you know Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus, possible cast master and the other widows. But I mean, it definitely is a look back. I think Jack McBrien over at the direct.com put it best that first weekend. It wasn't just like you know, people got back to the movies, those were good numbers, good, good for MCU standards. It beat Guardian, it beat Ant-Man. So, I mean, I think that what it was was everybody who was excited to go check it in theaters rush to go see it week one and that's great but that second wave of theater goers you know i think the gap was just divided by people saying well i could just watch it at home or i could just wait 90 days so i think that this could have been a little telegraphed if they thought about it a little bit um something i didn't see coming but looking back it makes a lot of sense that the first weekend was a big spike second weekend was bound to be a big drop off because you know, we, we, we have those casual Marvel fans that are willing to wait. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Shang-Chi with uh, Disney Premier Access after this news. And real quick, there are a lot of other factors we have to consider here. A big one being overexposure. People feel like they've already seen this movie before it came out with just the amount of marketing material behind it. This is a movie that's been advertised since December 2019. So when a marketing campaign lasts that long, 
and not to the film's fault, obviously, circumstances get in the way. I think the interest inevitably dies down a little bit. The reason why they're probably keeping that Spider-Man No Way Home marketing campaign close to the vest is because they want to avoid something like this. I don't think a Spider-Man movie ever suffers, you know, a drop like this second weekend or let alone only makes 80 million domestically opening weekends. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of strategy going on right now looking towards future movies, looking at Black Widow, where they can learn from their mistakes, but also where the circumstances will change. Because let's not forget, we're still basically in a pandemic theaters are opening and places are getting safer and people are getting vaccinated and all but at the same time it was not 100 percent yet hopefully by december hopefully even by november with eternals i still i think we'll be at like 95 percent for shang chi but i think by eternals in november we're going to see those true marvel numbers return to form and that's what we're looking for ad opening weekend i still had a lot of pleasure seeing that you know that was a big indicator that we are back in some way the drop off, though, is a reminder, you know, it's still a new world out there. We're going to see what happens. Liam, now it's time to get into the rankings. Here's the fun part. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want our full in-depth look on the movie Black Widow itself, make sure to check out our Black Widow review where podcasts can be found anywhere. Um, it's out there and it's it's a really good time me and Liam had. But now we're going to talk about it in, in lockstep with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Where does this movie fall? What movies does it fall around? Let's start with our personal rankings. Liam, where do you have Black Widow ranked on your amazing list? I have Black Widow coming in at number 16 on my personal rankings. 27 projects, so kind of in the the lower, the the higher second half, if that makes sense. Uh, To to give some context, it's sandwiched right between Ant-Man, one above it, and Thor The Dark World, one right below it. Keep in mind, this is coming from, from me, who has a very different list than most people. Thor The Dark World's number 17 on my list. Ant-Man's number 15. I had a great time with this movie, but at the end of the day, it's still a prequel. It doesn't feel super consequential. And a lot of people might look at Ant-Man, because uh, a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't really give Ant-Man the credit it deserves. I think the first Ant-Man is an absolute delight. Way back when, it was in my top 10 of MCU projects. And then, of course, you know, more and more and more come in. And then it just gets bumped down and down and down. But still, I think 16 is an appropriate spot for it on my personal rankings. And this one, honestly, compared to Loki, compared to Falcon, compared to WandaVision, and any other project that I've inserted into my now uh, top MCU rankings, this was one of the easier decisions I've had to make. I looked at my list. I thought about where it fit best and 16 felt like a sweet spot from the day I saw it. Then I thought about it some more and it never changed. I, uh, I, I love that, right? I love that explanation of it. Yeah, you do, you do have, you know, th- these are personal lists guys. These aren't, these aren't anything that we're going to, you know, take to the bank, get tattooed on our backs or anything like that. But um, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, this, these lists really fall into which movies we enjoyed more i feel like and i think that your list really represents that in a big way i have black widow coming in at number 18 just a couple spots behind you um for context that is right behind dr strange at 17 and right ahead of ant-man at 19 so um you know we're, we're kind of in the same tier same range i might be in the back half of, of this tier you're more near the front which i think is just fine for a movie like this um we talked about it last week a lot the story, the plot of the actual movie from opening to ending credits, I don't think has any sort of elite tier 
qualities to it. I think it is very linear, very kind of run of the mill. But for me, what really spiked this movie was the characters. I mean, this was a character driven movie and I appreciated the characters so much. That's why I have it coming in ahead of Ant-Man a little bit where um, I do think that that was a little bit more of a uh, comedy and the script really shined through. Not so much, you know, the plot or the characters. I mean, I love the characters. I love that movie. Don't get me wrong. But I just really, I, I like Doctor Strange, Black Widow, and Ant-Man all right next to each other because those are three tried and true solo movies. Black Widow, obviously, with a little more backstory behind it. But I think that they all fall into the same quote-unquote trap of you know, being character-driven movies that maybe suffer a little bit in the plot department, just so we can get to know these characters as much as we can. Um, and Stephen Strange, Elena, and Scott Lang. But I do want to say real quick, I have this at 18, and I'm happy with that. I'm happy where it falls. But I will say, like, like it's fun to watch. If we had our fun to watch rankings, this would be much, much better to me. I think that this had such a fun quality to it the style i thought was awesome the action was incredible it's just the story the actual plot the the step-by-step script that i think holds it back a little bit which um i think i'm totally okay with having it there at 18 and liam let's see what our colleagues did here let's see uh uh, where where everybody at the direct put this movie you had it at 16 correct correct i had it there at 18 ladies and gentlemen the direct.com has voted and black widow falls 17. How about that? The MCU master list. That is awesome. I don't think that's ever happened with us. No. Nope. Um, splits, splits the difference um, for context. Um, on this list, uh, this falls just behind the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at 16 and just ahead of Doctor Strange at 18. Liam, react. Well, first off, Falcon Winter Soldier being 16 <laughs> on the list still still hurt, hurts me and haunts me in my dreams. What was the one it was right above? Uh, it's it's right above Doctor Strange at 18. Okay, I like it at 17. Um, it's very similar to where I have it on my list. Obviously, sure. the movies around it are very different. But I felt that this was a very agreeable movie from a, a ranking standpoint. You know, me and you both having it uh, within the same echelon in the teens of, of the Marvel rankings, I think is appropriate. And yeah, this this doesn't really surprise me as much as the Falcon ranking did or the WandaVision ranking did. So, yeah, I don't have much shock factor here uh, in terms of where Scarlett Johansson's debut solo flick uh, ended up on our rankings. So um, I think that's a really great transition into uh, Loki here, Um, because I want to talk about Disney Plus shows on this the direct.com master rankings list. And guys, I just want to talk about this ranking list real quick. I I took a lot of pride in this list just because I have a lot of fun doing it, but also I really do believe I've, I've done a quick search on the internet and I do think this is the most, um, how do I put this? This is the most legitimate MCU rankings list because this is 15 or more writers putting in their individual list and we're averaging things. You know what I mean? This isn't one person's opinion. This isn't a top 10. This isn't, you know, uh, like our boys at kind of funny do where they, you know, they put a movie on the list and then, then they decide what goes above or below that. That's more democratic. This is statistics, analytics, 15 writers, people who write about this stuff every single day, putting in their list and averaging things out. So I really do find this to be kind of the heartbeat, at least for 
the journalistic side of MCU fans. You know, IMDb, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, that might be a better look at what all every fan thinks. But, you know, if we want to call ourselves experts, I don't want to call ourselves on the beat too much. But, um, you know, we, we write about this stuff every single day. So I really do have a lot of, um, I put a lot of respect on this list name. So I do want to talk about uh, Disney Plus series on these lists. Liam, you reacted to Dr. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier being a 16 much lower than you have it on your list. I have it a little higher on my list as well. Um, but something I want to point out, it debuted at number 11 on the MCU master list. WandaVision debuted at number seven and has now dropped to number 12. Huh. So it's, re- it's really interesting that when these Disney Plus shows end, they land at one spot, usually in the top 12 so far. And then every time the next show comes out, we re-rank these things. Those shows drop. Uh, Taco Winter Soldier dropped a little farther than WandaVision has in either of the re-votings, but it did drop four spots, and that's and that's not nothing. So I, I want to get your reaction to that. Do you think that's a you know coming off the hotness of the finale, we voted a little higher than maybe we do after we sit with it, or do these TV shows because they have rewatch ability with Disney Plus because it is six to eight episodes of content where by the time the finale comes, we could kind of mentally forget the good, the bad, and the ugly of previous episodes. And then once we sit with it, we see everybody else's reactions. Do you think that, do you think that these Disney Plus shows have a little more variability after the finale, you know, two or three weeks down the road? Yeah, well, I have a couple of things I want to respond to, especially uh, what you said at the beginning of how uh, how much validation this rankings list have has. Another thing I wanted to point out is everyone on the direct.com has different checkpoints that each film has to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, I know you talk about like humor and narrative and all these things blending together in action. For me personally, I, I can't speak for other writers, but it really only comes down to emotion and sticks. If a movie meets both of those, hits me on emotional levels, whether that be making me laugh, making me cry, making me sad, making me happy, while also telling a story that feels important in the greater scheme of things, it's a win in my book. So the fact that everyone has different checkpoints that they have to meet, I think is what makes this list so unique. And as you said, uh, so valuable in the greater sphere of things. With these Disney Plus shows, I completely agree. It's feeling really, really strange uh, to rank them among movies because movies it's so much easier to say okay what did I like what did I, what did I not like a really right. bad episode in a season could push a move could push a series out of a top 10 but a really great episode could get it into a top 10 so it's so weird and I, I do feel uh, very similar that a great finale when people rank stuff, it could be viewed with rose-tinted glasses. And then we get to Black Widow and WandaVision and Falcon both drop, not because they de- they uh, decreased in quality, but people just started analyzing it more, marinating it in it more and realizing, okay, maybe it's not exactly where uh, I first put it. Maybe I came off the high, was feeling really good about it, and now it's kind of dipped down a bit. So there will come a day, I'm not even saying if, because there will come a day with how many projects we have that we'll have our great big giant MCU list, but we'll probably also dedicate a list to just shows as well once sure. we get to 10, 15 uh, projects where it gets to the point where they warrant their own list. So yeah, it does feel really weird. I do remember shaking up my list a little bit. Uh, WandaVision, I think, jumped down on my personal list. It used to be at number eight. Now it's at number nine. Didn't change too much falcon still stays 
uh, at my very polarizing number six for whatever reason. And I do expect it to dip down. I do expect it to dip down um, in future projects just because I can't see it ever cracking a top five and inevitably future movies will crack a top five. But it is a very, very uh, interesting dialogue to have with the shows because there's so many other factors that you have to consider. Right. And I think it's just, this does speak to the duality of the show a little bit. You said Falcon Warrior Soldiers at your six and it ain't moving. Um, not until something comes in the bracket ahead of time, but um, I have WandaVision at six on my list and it has not moved. Um, I think I should point out, I have not rewatched a single Marvel Disney Plus show. I haven't gone back and watched anything over again. I'm still waiting to watch Mandalorian again. I'm very excited about it. I feel like every time we get on the show, we find one little moment of Mandalorian that I forgot that makes you want to go back and rewatch it. Um, but uh, so WandaVision hasn't moved for me. Falcon and Winter Soldier has dropped for me, but um, I, I, I do think that, you know, it isn't just the rose tits in this of it. It's just the more I sit with that finale and just the way the Sharon Carter thing played out, the way the Carly thing played out, just, I, you know, a couple of the characters I was most excited for at the beginning. I just didn't like the plot of how it ended at the end. And um, it, that reflects here on this list. People, when they sit with these shows, they tend to, tend to drop them. But I also want to put the other side of it. Everybody had WandaVision at number seven when it debuted. Everybody had Falcon and the Winter Soldier at number 11 when it debuted. And so when Loki came out and everybody was like, this is the greatest thing Marvel's ever made. And, you know, I, it, it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. But like, I, I knew being the curator of this list, like that's what we have said with every single MCU show so far. First couple episodes, it's the greatest thing Marvel's ever done. By the finale, it ends up in the top 10. And then we just kind of wear off on it. It's just interesting to see the Twitter narrative that I see where it, it really does feel like when a new show comes out, WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier got bashed. You know what I mean? Like Loki, Loki inspired people to be like, you know, hey, look at all these problems with WandaVision. Look at all these problems with Captain Winter Soldier. Look how Loki has none of those problems. And I'm just sitting here thinking we were doing this exact same thing with WandaVision, we were doing this exact same thing with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, those first two episodes. People talked about how great they are, but they also at the same time talked about how all the problems they have with WandaVision just two weeks after putting it in the top seven. So it's really interesting, the uh, flexibility of these Disney Plus shows and that brings us to Loki. Um, Liam, this was a show that, in my opinion, had a lot of consistency uh, peaks and valleys um, from a lot of different ranges. There was just so many different episodes. There were emotional character study episodes like we've seen in the two previous shows, but we've mixed in further reaching MCU touching every other project episodes that we haven't seen on Disney Plus yet. So um, I think this can go a lot of ways. I can't wait to see where you put it. Um, so Liam, let us know where does the God of Mischief fall on your personal rankings? This one was so, so tough because in hindsight, I got movies in the teens that I would rewatch before I rewatched Loki, but the quality of Loki can't be ignored. Like it's still great. And it's weird though, because uh, a little spoiler before I reveal it, it's my third favorite Marvel Disney plus show. So, Hey, it's on the podium. It's on the podium. Of course, there's only three projects, (laughs) but uh, a lot of people were saying like, Oh, you're crazy. Like there's no way it's so good. And I'm like, I, I had a good time, but I, I think you're 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 
ignoring all the great that WandaVision did from a character study standpoint. You're ignoring all the great that uh, Falcon Winter Soldier did from a character exploration standpoint in both Sam and Bucky at the same time. And yeah, just to touch on that just a little bit, I saw so many TikTok lists. I don't care if Falcon Winter Soldier is not in your top 15. So be it, different strokes, different folks, right? Some people had it as the worst project. I literally saw lists, number 27, Falcon Winter Soldier. You're telling me Incredible Hulk. You're telling me Iron Man 2. Even even I love Thor the Dark World. You're telling me Thor the Dark World is better than Falcon Uh. Winter Soldier. (laughs) Crazy talk. Anyways, my ranking for Loki, this was tough. And this is is the one that I think has the most mobility going forward. Uh, As I said, I think WandaVision will stay in my top 10 until projects pass it. I think Falcon Winter Soldier keeps that sixth spot until something else cracks my top five. Loki comes in at number 10 on my list. Wow. I was shocked as well because I was looking and I was like, going back, emotion and stakes. That's what it comes down to. And the stakes of this show, the stakes of this show cannot be ignored. They're astronomical in, in the bigger picture. And the emotion, I didn't cry which was a big thing when it comes to Falcon and WandaVision. I want to cry during shows and movies. I, I love that. It makes me feel so connected to it. When Isaiah Bradley gets that damn statue and when WandaVision says, and WandaVision, excuse me, when Wanda Maximoff says, thank you for choosing me to be your mom, chills right now, I could be waterworks. And that's what gets me to put those projects in my top 10. Loki didn't cry, but there was a lot of great moments that brought the emotion out of me. Mobius standing up to Renslayer. You know where I would go? I would go to where I'm really from. That's where I would go. Brings out the emotion. Loki interacting with the other Lokis. The finale with with Kang rhyming and raving and the charismatic ball that he was, was phenomenal. To give some uh, context, right above it is WandaVision at nine. And I, I don't wanna say it's a distant gap, but it's sizable enough that I don't see Loki ever taking over that spot. And right below it, Matt, we've been talking about these rankings for a long time. And we said that there's a certain project that as much as we want to love it, there's going to come a day when it gets pushed out of the top 10. And Iron Man is no longer in my top 10. And I love that movie. But you can't just be married to nostalgia. It's a great movie. It set the standard. It laid the groundwork for the greatest cinematic achievement in history known to man. But there's been 26 projects after it. If that's the gold standard and it can never be met, then we're going to live in a world where we can never be better than a a solo movie that came out in 2008 that was mostly improvised and was working on a very small budget with a risky actor who was (laughs) in his C-list category and the director of Elf. It did so much. It accomplished so much. But if you're telling me that that project cannot be passed, I think you're married to nostalgia. Iron Man is now at number 11. Loki is in my top 10. Matt, I feel like this is where we're going to have some big gaps between our rankings. You're not wrong. Um, um, is Iron Man the new Spider-Man 2? That, that, that's the question people are asking. Is nostalgia pushing that movie up? No, I love Iron Man. I, I rewatch it you know, so often and it's always so much fun. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because me and you feel like we're, we're so on the same page throughout most of Loki. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you know the, the finale, I think you liked a little more than I did, but 
um, just to kind of go back on our conversation a little bit, I sat with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and liked it a little less, you know, as the weeks went on, thinking about the finale, thinking about the show as a whole. With Loki, you know, what, we're a week away, a week out, a little less than. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have come to like this show more and more the more I think about it. You know, I got married last weekend. I had a lot of time with my boys back home, so we had a lot of conversation about Loki and just talking about different things. These are my comic book roots, you know, my friends back home. So that's to talk about it a lot. And I've appreciated Loki more and more the more I've thought about it and the more I've seen on Twitter, the more, you know, theories and what if, could this, who knows, all that kind of stuff. And I, I came on this podcast last week and I was pretty, I was pretty uh, outspoken about my problems with this show. And those problems still remain, don't get me wrong. But um, I'm just willing to smooth that over a little bit looking forward. Um, I, I understand, like you said, we can't get hung up on the past. Um, so looking forward, I think this show could easily be in my top 10. But that, that little stipulation of does it possibly water down projects past, that's something I personally am having a hard time getting over. But it is a lot smoother than maybe it was last week for me. So when I originally, uh, you know, Wednesday, after our podcast, I arbitrarily just threw it on my list in letterbox and see, you know, kind of where I felt it. And I had it at uh, 19 behind Black Widow when I originally put it up there. But because I've thought about it a little more and I rewatched it with Aaron and I just got to see Jonathan Major do that thing again. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to be honest, man, like going into episode six i was very confident this was going to be in that 16 to 19 range after seeing jonathan majors do what he did in that finale and just see that character jump off the screen i have uh, moved it all the way up and i now have loki at number 14 um i have i've i've gotten it into that 14 range still not too far behind you but definitely a tear definitely a teardrop i think between me and you um i have it right behind far from home and iron man Iron Man's at number 12 for me, Far From Home 13, and Loki at 14. Um, the reason Iron Man's not in my top 10, I'm an age of all time, obviously. So, um, you yeah, know, that, that pushed Iron Man. And then I, uh, the Black Widow, the Black Panther Iron Man debate, you know, they're right next to each other on my list. I, I struggle with those two a lot. Are they, are they close on your list, by chance? It, it goes Iron Man, Spider-Man, Far From Home, Black Panther, and they are all right. an eyelash apart. I have I have Black Panther, Iron Man, Far From Home. So those three are the same range on our list. And yeah, those two I jump with a lot. But I put Loki behind that trio just because I feel like that's the teardrop for me. Um, so Loki, like you said, you, you, you put it perfectly. The quality of the show cannot be ignored. You know, for as many problems I tended to have with the plot and the pacing, I do think there was some pacing consistencies I didn't love about this show. But um, the quality of the show was stupid good i mean the production level this this was as much of a movie as any of the disney plus shows have this is my second favorite disney plus show um i it, it's just edging out falcon and the winter soldier i do like the story of falcon and the winter soldier more but the excitement and the stakes like you said of loki just bring it above for me right there i have all those uh well one Vision's pretty far ahead of the other two but loki and falcon winter soldier i have pretty close actually I didn't get to that part. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier falls just behind Loki on my rankings in the 15th, so it's official. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I had a great time with Loki. I think moving forward, it has so many amazing things it's going to do for the MCU. We're getting a season two, something I talked about with my guys back home, Liam, and I was wanted to get your thoughts. You know, the open-endedness of the finale never would have 
uh, been able to fly with WandaVision or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. People would have had pitchforks and torches, you know, if, if it was as ambiguous of a finale as Loki was. But it's the season two effect. I mean, they have the ultimate trump card of saying, well, hey, we'll answer it in season two. We, we don't know when that's coming out. So I, I it was jarring for me at first because we got conditioned to the finality of WandaVision and Captain Winter Soldier. Um, but, um, you know, what do you think that that did for your rankings or everybody's rankings, I guess, having such an open-ended advantage and the excitement for season two was just as much of the finale as the end of season one excitement was. Loki for me, as I mentioned, I think it has the most mobility for that reason. And I think both positively and negatively, I compared it a lot when my friends were like, you're crazy. How is it not your favorite show? You're crazy. I was like, right. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because everyone has their opinions. But I think a lot of people look at this show with rose tinted glasses the same way controversially because i know you're an age of ultron guy i left age of ultron in 2015 i was a 14 year old freshman in high school who showed up my first day of class with my captain america shirt and i rewatched that trailer maybe 50 times i was over the moon excited i would sit in biology class staring off into space because i was so upset that age of ultron was still seven months away i was like how how in the world am I going to make it until May 1st, 2015 to see Age of Ultron in theaters? I finally did. Obviously, time goes on. Saw it and it was the greatest <laughs> movie ever. It was the greatest movie of all time. Not only was it the best Marvel movie, but it was the best movie I had ever seen. And then Civil War came out. And then, sure. and then <laughs> Endgame came out. And then Infinity yeah. War came out. And it kept bumping down and down and down. And all the stuff it set up, Wakanda, the dark world, uh, not the dark world, the Ragnarok we should have gotten, uh, Infinity War, all that crazy stuff. It was much darker. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. All the stuff it set up. Is that I your thought, favorite scene from that movie, Lynn? <laughs> and it, it, it was honestly, a great. I love, I love Idris Elba with the white eyes. It was crazy. And I think right, that right, right. that's an, that's a conversation to explore later. But I think his white eyes is when they intended for the soul stone to be Heimdall because with, with no gold in his eyes, people were implying, oh, the gold not in his eyes because it's the soul stone that's been taken from him. Anyways, I digress. Um, all the stuff it's set up, even I'm willing to admit, Ragnarok is better than Age of Ultron. Civil War, better than Age of Ultron. Infinity War, Endgame, all this stuff it's set up, I thought eclipsed that. And for that reason, I thought it made the setup movie a little bit worse. For Loki, it's setting up so much stuff. And I really hope the stuff it sets up is better than it. The question remains, Will the fact that it's set up make the project worse in retrospect, or will we appreciate it more that it teed up a lot of home runs going down the line? That's why I think it has the most mobility and it is so unpredictable moving forward. And I'm really glad we do these ranking segments once in a blue moon, because this is one to keep an eye out for. I think it's one of the bigger picture narratives we kind of have going on on the direct podcast. We talk about so much stuff we want to look out for. We want to see Suicide Squad hit a home run. We want to see what Far From Home is all about. Excuse me, No Way Home. I want to see what happens to Loki come March of 2022 when Multiverse of Madness comes out. I want to see what happens to Loki in 2023 when Quantum Mania comes out. There's so many implications moving forward for not just this show from a narrative standpoint, from a cinematic standpoint, but from a ranking standpoint. And I think that's really cool. I completely agree. And, you know, I'm kind of on the other way with it. The reason Age of Ultron, sorry, <clears throat> the reason Age of Ultron gets into my top 10 
is because I appreciate it more and more with new movies coming out. When Civil War comes out and I rewatch Age of Ultron, wow, how, how great of a prelude is that? It's one of the best, right? Uh, chopping wood. Uh, same with Ragnarok. Same with, um, you know, uh, Hulk. I mean, Hulk's story. It, you know, it kind of really starts in Ultron. It really plays out well in Ragnarok to begin if anyone had given it in. So I'm the kind of guy who, the reason I love Age of Ultron so much is because I look back at it and think, wow, it did such a great job setting up a universe I love. That's why I believe on my list, you know, with Loki sitting at 14, this has so much room to grow if this multiverse stuff really starts fleshing out a little more. You know what I mean? I don't know when that's going to happen. Obviously, we've been rewatching these movies for like two years now because Black Widow just came out. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how I react to waiting for um, these solutions to Loki. But um, I, I have it at 14 with every intention to move it up as the multiverse gets more and more fleshed out. Liam, do you want to see where our colleagues drop the God of Mischief on the official rankings list? Hit me with it. Loki comes in the second highest debut for a Marvel Disney Plus show at number nine. Just one above your rankings. It cracks the top ten. Um, just to remind everybody, WandaVision debuted at number eight, and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier debuted at number 11. Um, all three Disney Plus shows getting excellent representation on their first run on the direct MCU list. Um, you know, top 12 is not a hard thing to get to, and all three of them hit it. So that just shows Disney Plus is here to stay, and it's doing a really great job. Liam, um, it's coming in at number nine. Um, at number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy, my number two, my number two movie. And number 10, Black Panther, Iron Man coming in at 11, just behind Black Panther. Um, hey, and I'm looking at it right now, actually, Black Panther, Iron Man, and uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, all within four spots of each other with the WandaVision nudge in between. So I, I, those three movies are something I think we can talk about someday. But um, yeah, Liam, your reaction to Loki coming in at number nine, just one above your personal ranking list. Yeah, both very, uh, very appropriate compared to where I put both Black Widow and Loki on my personal rankings. The fact that yet another project, I know Falcon debuted at 11, so let's call it a top 11. Every Disney Plus project debuting um, within a top 11, which is in the top 40% of these 27 projects, is astronomically impressive. Like, this, these are these are concepts that have so much working against them. It's fleshing out a two-hour standard MCU narrative across six to potentially nine hours. I know WandaVision's a little wishy-washy with the total runtime, but it's so easy to fall into the, the trap of filler episodes, exploration for the sake of exploration. And I think they all use their runtime so appropriately and they all have something for everyone. If you didn't love the Falcon finale, you sure as hell love the Madripoor episode. If you didn't care for the WandaVision yeah. finale, you love Spooktacular. Even if you didn't like Loki's penultimate episode when they were in the in the void, you absolutely loved Jonathan Major's come the season finale. So for that reason, there's so much to love from each of these individual shows that I think that that's what these uh, Disney Plus projects have working for them moving forward. And I'm just waiting for a Disney Plus project to debut maybe in the top 15. Not saying I want it to happen, but like the quality has got to drop off at some point because eventually they're going to start pushing some of our fan favorite movies out of a top 10. Iron Man has already moved out of my top 10. I don't want to live in a world where Cap First Avengers is not in my top 15, but it's at number 14 right now. And it very well could 
uh, move out of the top half soon enough. So I can't wait to see where Miss Marvel, where Hawkeye land, where, where what if lands, honestly, that's one to look out for. But moving mm-hmm. forward, Disney Plus, you're doing, you're doing good things. And I think myself, Matt, and everyone at the direct.com can agree. These are elite tier projects. Well, I mean, you mentioned it right there. Loki on our direct official MCU list put Iron Man out of the top 10. You know, this, this was the project to do it. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see where it falls after What If, um, after Shang-Chi. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how we're going to rank What If. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work. But um, I, think, I think if I could guess how Loki got here, um, WandaVision, obviously, from a concept standpoint, as risky as it gets. I think I wrote that article, the riskiest project the MCU's ever made. And it is because it's as weird as it possibly could be. Like, you know, the Loki, the Loki weirdness is draped in space and cosmic and, you know, gods of Asgard and stuff. The WandaVision thing was just straight up weird. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, suburbia weird, right? So um, I, you know, from a concept standpoint, it was obviously very risky for WandaVision. And the Falcon Winter Soldier, a little more safe, but still has some risky elements to it, but with the narrative. Um, but I think that what's interesting is those two shows, WandaVision and Popcorn Soldier, when we talk about it, such character studies, like, like tried and true, 100%. This is about Sam. This is about Wanda. This is about Bucky and Vision on the back end of both of those shows. And I think that what that did for fans was it, it, it allowed us to just jump in and embrace that this is going to be a Wanda show. This is going to be a Sam show. Bucky's there. Vision's there. We're having a great time with these characters. With Loki, it was kind of a mix between a character study and holy shit, we're blowing up the MCU. And I think when you when you do that, it's it's a little bit more of a risk as far as fan buy-in because I mean we went into Loki expecting a full-blown character study, and we got a couple episodes of that. Don't get me wrong, misplaced in my opinion um, as far as Lamentis and uh, episode five go. But um, what was episode five again? The Void, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, when you sprinkle in those huge wide scaling MCU elements, you're either going to take people out of it, like my experience was a little bit, or you're going to get people so excited. There are probably people who saw WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier and was like, yeah, they're good. But like, what about the rest of the movies? What about, you know, when's my next Avengers movie coming? We got a taste of that here in Loki. You know, we got a taste of when our next Avengers movie might come because we just met the guy, you know, all the all the, the sneaking, the planning, the talking that happened in Loki, I think really got people excited about the rest of the MCU. In a way, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier didn't wide scaling, but more so the characters. So I, I see why people love this. I'm, I'm not going to hate on people putting Loki at number nine ever, but it's just, this is more of a different show for different folks kind of show. I have trouble with people who are like, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, eh, you know, it was okay. And, you know, it just didn't touch the rest of the MCU. WandaVision was cool. It just didn't touch. It wasn't supposed to. It didn't try to. That, that, that's not a good argument against it because that's not what they were trying to do. Here with Loki, you can make arguments on how they touch the rest of the MCU because they tried to do that. So um, it's, 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 I love that it got into the top nine. Like you said, all three shows debuting at number 11. That's fantastic. Black Widow coming in at 17. But um, I, I stand by that this is one of my more favorite solo Marvel movies, even though I haven't ranked solo. I still have so much love for that movie. And uh, Liam, that is the updated rankings for the MCU. We will not be back here until the end of summer, I believe. The what if schedule is crazy. 
we have no idea what's about to happen because it just came out that I'm sure you guys are going to talk about it in the sizzle. Uh, uh, Hawkeye and Miss Marvel are going to debut in 2021. So I have no idea when the next time we'll be here, at least by Shang-Chi uh, coming up this fall. So uh, yeah, thanks for hanging with us. And it's always great to talk about this amazing Marvel cinematic universe. But before we go, I would say, you know, Black Widow coming in at 16 for me, 17 on the rankings. Loki coming in at number nine, number 10 for me on my rankings. Matt, I know it was a distant 19 at first, moved up to 14. A lot of people could say that we're calling these projects underrated. Well, I think that, you know, that's easy to say. So I think that what we should do is we should look back at some of the most underrated movies throughout the MCU. And you know how we should do that, Liam? Let's do it in a draft. It's me, it's Liam, it's Barstool Clem on the other side. The most underrated characters in the MCU. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into another edition of the Direct Draft. It is back one more time for your listening pleasure, and I'm so excited for this one, Liam. It's going to be a blast because we're bringing back the big guns. One more time, twice in a month span, I think it is. Ladies and gentlemen, the return to the direct podcast. You know him. You love him. Bar, stool, clamp, boom. Thank you so much, man. How you doing? Doing great. Never been better. Doing good. Hey, how great was that Loki finale, guys? Huh? Oh, Wasn't that wow. awesome? Chef's kiss. Oh, chef's kiss. <laughs> we loved it. Beautiful. Boo. It was awful. Boo. Cover our bases. Boo. First in Falcon Winter Soldier. What? Oh, my gosh. All right. So. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not here to talk about Loki. We are here to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a list that I think Loki could have landed himself on had we done this a year or two ago. The most underrated characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These are characters who have been a part of this universe, been in one, two, six, seven movies, and just haven't gotten the shine that they deserve for what we've seen on screen. This is a very subjective topic right you know any underrated is a fluid definition i feel like so a little rule we have here is stipulation no solo movie characters if they have their name and a title they are off the list that gets rid of characters like loki that gets rid of characters like wanda you know vision uh sam bucky these are all characters that easily could have been taken in the first round uh we're going to take them off the list here because you know, they, they got their shine. They got their moment. So let's dive into the supporting characters in the MCU that are the most underrated. Clem, we're nice guys here on the Direct Podcast. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> honor, we're men, of, we're men of dignity. We're men of respect. So we're going to give you the first overall pick here on the most underrated MCU characters draft. And 101 is... Okay, so it, Barstool, we have a, a podcast called The Dog Walk. Great podcast. I recommend listening to a, a draft every single Monday. And it's always like what plays on the graphic, which is versus what you truly believe should be the first pick. And underrated, like a broad term, is it like this character deserves more shine or what this character does deserves more credit in the movie. So I'm going with my 1-1 pick, a character that I scream from the mountaintops is the most underrated character in MCU history. When you invited me on, it was a no-brainer. First on the board, it is Groot. It is Groot. Actually, I want to do Baby Groot. It is Groot because that's my favorite Groot, obviously. <laughs> yeah. He's the he's the big Bob shot. He's the big shot Bob of the MCU. He uh, he 
you know, every movie he's in, he fucking delivers. The We Are Groot moment when he sacrifices himself for the Guardians to help get the spaceship down or whatever, you know, let them go down, take down that son of a bitch, uh, Ronan the Accuser. Uh, he blows up Ego. He's the one who actually gets down, puts the bomb <laughs> next to Ego, somehow remembers how to do the thing. And he also steals the scene, right? The I am Groot, I am Groot. And then, no, it's the same exact thing. He's the comedic chops of fucking, you know, 10 comedians. And then in Infinity War, when it looks hopeless and Thor's dying and we can't get the, the handle to Stormbreaker, who chops off his arm? Literally chops off his arm to give that fucking axe a handle. It is Groot, number one, one with a bullet. Big shot Bob Ori coming through in the clutch every single time. He's not going to give you 25 and 10 every game. He's not going to do it. But he's going to give you the biggest three points every single time and going to come home with the W. So I'm going with Groot. Absolutely love it. The Ray Allen of the MCU. You know what I mean? He's there for the big shot. That's awesome. All right. That's a great pick. Groot off the board right off the top. You know what I mean? It's a, that's, he's, he's so fun in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like baby Groot is more comedic relief than not in a lot of yep. cases. So that I, I didn't have him on my list just because of that. I can only think of the comedic moments with Groot, but you're right. You lay him out. He has a lot of big accomplishments and he is getting his own series. You know, if you guys forget, we're getting a group oh, animated right. series, man. Oh. It's going to be awesome. No, no, it's fine. It's in the future, though. It's, it's in okay. the future. Yeah. It's down the line. He's getting his dude. That's great. Uh, that was also, that was more of a, oh, I am so happy, like, thing, oh, yes. too. Because this is also a little bit, because my kids who love, like, the Guardians and Groot in particular. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Just yeah. being, instead of watching all the dumb stuff they watch, I can actually watch MCU content with them. So <laughs> this isn't going to play on the graphic, but I hope the people that listen, they're going to hear and go, all right, I kind of see where he's coming from there so that that's a threshold we walk (laughs) that's that's one we have liam i have uh taken the second pick in a few drafts in a row so i'm gonna give it to you this time (laughs) wow well thank you because i was worried if i didn't get the second pick that i wasn't gonna get my first round pick because i know uh how much you love guardians and i'm just gonna go to two to clems one i want rocket raccoon on my team uh even though i'm not the highest on the guardians movies not to say i don't like them i just have franchises i put above them Rocket Raccoon is one of those characters that I really worry about him dying in Guardians 3 just because he has so much emotion and so much weight. And I feel like a Guardian has to die. And I feel like his story might be coming to an end. But I think back to many scenes that end up in my, my top 10 MCU scenes. Uh, and I love, I love the conversations. I love the character-driven moments. And Rocket has some just heartbreaking character uh, moments, emotion that's, that's delivered, uh, I believe it's with Sean Gunn's motion capture and Bradley Cooper's voice. And those two coming together to make this character who it is, I feel like uh, doesn't get enough recognition just because CGI has gotten so good and voice acting is so common. Uh, I feel like uh, Rocket deserves more shine. But the two conversations I'll point out to uh, Guardians Volume 1, when he's kind of drunken um, on, I believe it's nowhere, and he's talking about, like, I didn't ask to be made like this and, like, experimented on it. It's heartbreaking. It, it's so difficult. And then the other conversation, he's not really the spotlight. He's more of uh, the therapist in the situation. When he's talking to uh, yeah. Thor in Infinity War and yeah, Thor's talking about everything he's lost and he's slowly getting um, into his psyche, I'm like, man, this sentient raccoon is getting to the god of thunder he's he's tapping into his heart the guy who from the jump has been the most macho character in the mcu kind of stereotypical masculinity where he doesn't really show a lot of his emotions until taika watiti tapped into them in ragnarok now he's he's shedding a tear in front of a raccoon because 
they were able to have that dialogue. Uh, those moments, I think, make Rock, Rocket such a great uh, supporting character, but definitely uh, an underrated uh, character in the grand scheme of the of the MCU. I mean, it's impossible to argue with that. Again, these are two peas <laughs> in a pod, right? Groot and Rocket, Rocket and Groot. And the thing is, it always like drives me crazy whenever you see this is more so in terms of how much Vin Diesel makes for Groot when he just says like three words an entire movie. But these guys get all this money for the voice character, the, the character acting. I wouldn't want to change one iota about either of these characters because I think they are so perfect the way they are. And Rocket fit, fits right into that. So I have no problem. And Bradley Cooper crushes it. I don't know how he does it, but he absolutely crushes it. So and he comes through a lot in the clutch too, Rocket. You can't forget 100%. that one of the smartest people in the mcu you know what i mean uh, mm -hmm. th that line he has to tony stark in endgame always gives me chills like hey calm down you're only a genius on earth like like think about that like rocket talking down to tony stark the the yeah. creator of time travel like that's an insane thought but it makes sense even though like rocket and groot are why i think guardians one is a top one or two mcu movie because they were able to pitch that talking tree talking raccoon and not only do we enjoy and laugh and like follow along we care it's emotional group dies we all cry like it's a real thing and uh those are two great picks and so my next pick because i have back to back here this is my number two um not my number one but i'm going to take my number two first because it's a guardians pick i just want to keep the this is the <laughs> guardians round you know james gunn is getting a lot of shine here in this uh, round one hashtag get gun james we'd love to have you on the podcast please um so my pick you guys pick two characters that I think have a lot of uh, pronouncement in MCU fandom. You know, they're on backpacks, they're on uh, notebooks. Uh, uh, Clem, you said your kids love Groot. Who doesn't love Rocket Raccoon? They're underrated because they don't have a solo project and deserve one because of they've been given solo type qualities on screen. My first two picks really are two characters that they weren't given a ton as far as the story or character. But what they did with what they were given was just so awesome. They so just out kicked their coverage and just excelled in the small roles that they were given in these movies. And then this first one was granted a bigger role down the line, and that is Nebula. I think the, the Nebula character arc is the most underrated character arc in the MCU. Um, I think that, you know, she starts in Guardians 1 as just a straight brute. Uh, you know, just there to be muscle and menacing and scary. Thanks, Dad. You know, that kind of thing, <laughs> right? And then in Guardians 2, like, that was the B-plot of the story in a lot of ways, was the sister-sister relationship between Nebula and Gamora. And I think they both did really, really well. Karen Gillan and uh, Zoe Saldana, I think they both killed that emotion there, and it got a lot of development from Nebula. And she became a Guardian at the end. She's in the hero shot, and it's awesome. Infinity War comes, obviously, she's the bait. She's... You know, she's what gets Gamora to give it up. And it, that's a smaller role. But even then, I feel for that. You know, I feel that emotion there because they did so well in Guardians 2. And then obviously in Endgame, a surprise top 10 leading character. And I know top 10 in a movie that doesn't sound... That's huge in Endgame. You know what I mean? She's as prevalent as almost anybody else in that show. Gamora, I think, stole the show in Infinity War as far as people I didn't expect to be such a big part of it. Nebula was that. And she's an Avenger, guys. Thanks, Dad. Turned into an Avenger and Endgame. And that's crazy to think about. So uh, the Nebula journey, I can't wait to see more of it. And I can't wait to see where it goes from here. I don't think she'll ever get a solo project. She's not that kind of character. She kind of... She's built on the family around her, be that Gamora or Thanos or whatever it is. But I think from what we've got from Nebula, she's absolutely crushed it and became an essential part to what made Endgame so good. And that is the emotion of it from the Thanos perspective.
No problem with that at all as well. Um, when all the people who just nitpick at the Marvel movies or comic movies in general about them just being like these brainless movies, I'm like, do you watch this stuff? Yeah. And Nebula is one of the people that I talk about where she goes from a thanks dad to like even the <laughs> way like her and Tony, they have the little paper airplane, yes. uh, paper football thing to start end game, and then kind of where she ends up as that change has been going on for years. And then the way obviously she finishes and she faces, you know, her old self. I'm like trying to like figure out who faces what in that thing. <laughs> Was 2014 Nebula getting killed by you know modern 2023 Nebula? Right. Um, it's it's the completion of this entire arc and uh, complete. I mean, I almost went for more. I mean, we, I, you know, what? I shouldn't say anyone else, but uh, the Guardians. I think it's hard to argue. And James Gunn is like, do you know how much money these goddamn movies made? You keep picking them underrated. It's like, yeah, we know, James. But that's why that's the kind of effect they have on us. So I yeah. love it. Good pick. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with any Guardians picks, honestly, aside from, you know, a Star-Lord or Gamora, because they definitely, those two I just mentioned, lead the team while everyone else, you know, gets their shine, but it's a little less bright. And Nebula being kind of a new Guardian, uh, I think she makes her way onto this list exactly for what you said, Matt, for her role in Endgame, because I don't think any of us expected uh, her to be so prominent and her to be so integral to that story. Uh, and then she ended up being just that. So yeah, I hope to see more of Karen Gillan, not just in uh, in Guardians 3, but she's going to be in Thor Love and Thunder. So getting to unravel a little bit more about her story, I, I think is going to be pretty fun. Yes, and um, I think that that leads great into my next pick because this is another character that got a surprisingly heavy role in Avengers Endgame, and um, I think is a lot of the uh, you know like the fan in us kind of core of that new Avengers group that uh, Natasha's leading at the beginning of that movie. That's Okoye, Okoye from uh, Black Panther. Mm. Um, I think Black Panther. Looking back on that movie, every time we watch it, I think it's so crazy how this movie is so much like it's almost 50 50 if not even more swinging toward this is about wakanda this is about the people of wakanda this is about okoye and shuri and you know everybody around uh t'challa in that movie and i think they did such a good job fleshing out these obviously supplemental characters i mean she's the leader of the army she's the henchman but i think they're so well fleshed out in black panther move on to infinity war where she's back in that supplementary role but we know a little bit more about her so when she makes a starbucks joke it's funny when she makes the olympics joke it's funny when she is terrified watching t'challa turn to dust there at the end you feel that emotion because you know black panther she's all about the country she's all about the king and she's all about, you know, just being, uh, you know, a, a statesman, a patriot, you know, for Wakanda. And that emotion is conveyed there. And then you go over to Endgame. And again, she's an Avenger. Okoye, the henchman from Black Panther, is an Avenger now. And I just think that's always such a cool thing, how they're able to take so obviously supplemental characters from other movies and turn them into major roles in the biggest movie of all time. So um, Nebula, Okoye, kind of two in the same, but I, I appreciate that route that they took. Hard to argue. Hard to, I, I, I think hey. we're all going to be on the same goddamn page here. We're <laughs> going to be on the same goddamn page. Um, but I, I didn't really like, didn't really have any feelings about her when it first started. It's kind of like Nebula, I guess, like you said. And then by the end, you're like, that's my chick right there. I yeah. fucking love her. So yeah. Bad bitch. Yeah, bad bitch. Bad sure. bitches club. That's right. Uh, yeah, Okoye is a great pick. And I also, uh, I emphasize the pick because she doesn't show up in Falcon Winter Soldier, which kind of emphasizes her importance in this universe. And to have her still be a little overlooked, a little underrated, uh, I think she's going to have a very prominent role, uh, not just in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but also whatever this Wakanda series is yeah. on Disney+. Plus. So I think uh, if Okoye doesn't have her due yet, it is definitely coming. But here and now, present day, 
Uh, definitely a little underrated in the MCU. My second pick, I got a couple I could play with here. Uh, and I think I'm going to go with one that I expect to get his due soon. Um, and that's Wong. Uh, I think Wong from the Doctor Strange movies is such <laughs> a joy. I think I just took one out of, out of Clem's, Clem's on deck circle. Not even his back pocket. I think this was his next next pick. Um, but man, Wong is such a such a joy of a character. I, I enjoyed him in Doctor Strange, but I really kind of fell in love with him in Infinity War in the one brief scene he was in. And honestly, what made me fall in love with the character were the memes. Remember after Infinity War when everyone was like, oh, y'all y'all fighting Thanos? Oh, y'all be safe. I'm, I'm just going to chill back here mm -hmm. at the Sanctum. I, I Those made me laugh so much. And then, oh, what you wanted more at the very end of Endgame. So He's fantastic. Can't wait to see him back in Strange 2. But as we know from the trailer and confirmed by Foggy himself earlier this week, that is him in the Shang-Chi trailer. So he's going to get his due um, in September. And getting to getting him uh, his own little sorcerer solo spotlight, that's a tongue twister right there, uh, without Doctor Strange by his side, I think is going to elevate Wong in the MCU so much. Uh, and it's just going to add a lot of legitimacy to not just him as a character, but the whole concept of sorcerers in the MCU. It no longer starts and ends with Doctor Strange. People right. who are mystical, they're badasses in and of themselves. So uh, Wong, I, my second pick. I completely agree there, Liam. I think Wong is going to be the vessel to kind of expand the sorcerer lore in the MCU. And I think that's a really awesome thing, especially heading into Multiverse of Madness. You know, we've seen through WandaVision and now through Loki, like different sectors of magic in the MCU have a lot of room to be fleshed out in their own kind of unique ways. And I think exploring more of what sorcerers are through Wong in Shang-Chi is going to be really cool because he does have that, you know, prowess. He's got that prestige to when he tells us something, we listen. This is the guy who explained what the Infinity Stones were. You know, this is this is that guy. So it's a it's a great pick and a, a very trendy's you know sounds negative, but you know Wong's hot right now. Wong's yeah. stock is hot, hot in the Wong, streets. Wong's hot in the streets. He got an invite to Tony Stark's wedding, which like that's not an easy ticket. No, an not easy an easy to get a ticket to. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, uh, Liam saw my face because I was looking at my thing and I'm like, man, I'm just going to get my three picks here. One, two, three. I'm going to get them. And he snagged Wong for me. There's not anyone who's ever done a fantasy draft. That yep. feeling of when got it gets staying right before you and like mm -hmm. one pick before. Oh, that goddamn it. But you know what? I have no problem. And like, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of performance. That dude, K, as far as we know, at least kept the, I can never say it, sanctum sanctorium kept it afloat during those five years without strange and probably God knows how many other people were, you know, uh, snapped away. The fact that my man kept reality, as far as we know, in, in like one piece, you got to tip your captain. Plus again, like you said, great recruiting, great recruiter. That's John That's Calipari level recruiting, getting right. all those people while strange was gone and getting them uh, for the greatest scene in the history of movies with the portal. So uh, just for one, cap. just for one scene though. And then they're done the one and done recruiting from Wong there. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> sure. That what it done. And then hopefully win a national championship. Um, <laughs> all right. All so right. I guess for my pick, I'm back going to back. back to Wakanda here. Uh, this guy, RIP and peace, no longer with us, but I'm going Killmonger because I think Killmonger, before we got Thanos, I've always thought Marvel was a little weak in the villains. I think that was a pretty common uh, critique by a lot of people. And I was, that was my one thing. I wanted better villains in the Marvel universe, especially when you would go to, again, we talked about uh, actually different podcasts. Um, I was thinking of the DC when we were talking about DC. So I apologize. Hey, we do um, all three, baby. Go off, man. <laughs> uh, Killmonger, all time great villain. I, there's a lot of things where Killmonger is kind of like, 
right for what he does. I think he kind of gets screwed. I think he, he beats Black Panther fair and square in the first fight. Second fight kind of is a little asterisk behind it and all. So I always saw Killmonger was like the rightful ruler of Wakanda. And I, to this day, I have a little asterisk there. And this is no, no offense to T'Challa, but I walked out of uh, Black Panther being like, are we sure that's the, the rightful king of the throne right there? Yeah. Not the, I feel a little bad saying that now, but I, I stood by it at the time. So Killmonger is my guy, uh, great villain. And I think people kind of, he's getting lost in the mix now because Thanos has put such a stamp down as like the, the villain of the MCU. And, uh, you know, Wakanda and Black Panther has just risen to another level, especially after the Avengers movies. Um, but I'm, I'm sticking with Killmonger there, so... Is that the hottest take we've had in a while? I mean, that's a big one. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, big that's one. not a nothing take right there. Um, Killmonger, I think, you know, it's it's interesting to call him underrated just because he's like a, a perennial top five villain. You know what I mean? Um, you know, but but I think that's warranted because, you know, he should be a perennial top three kind of guy. You know what I mean? He's got, he's got everything we've been asking for out of these villains this entire time. An interesting backstory. Something we care about this that the other plus he's a badass in the visual the aesthetic and you know his it's just his music everything about him he owns that movie he's got he he has i was talking earlier how black panther is a lot about wakanda and then the other parts about t'challa but you know you can even go into thirds it's about t'challa wakanda and killmonger and you know Mm -hmm. i think that's a really interesting way to go about it because that movie does so much in a short amount of time and wakanda and killmonger both being on this list Wakanda being represented by okoye I think that is fitting for sure. Yeah. And I was going to say too, Killmonger, I think retrospectively has been kind of given his due by fans and people have put respect on his name in terms of solo uh, villains in the MCU. But keep in mind, 2018, he pops up in February, three months later, Thanos comes along and completely overshadows him. So in the moments of when Killmonger was active, um, I think it is completely warranted to say uh, underrated and uh, yeah, definitely in terms of solo villains, I feel like Marvel has lacked a bit. So when it does, when a great solo villain does come around, I feel like we really got to cherish it. And I think a lot of people uh, were doing that with Michael Keaton and Vulture, but I don't think as many were doing it with uh, Black, uh, not Black Panther, excuse me, uh, Eric Killmonger played by Michael B. Jordan um, because uh, Infinity War was so close to being released and everyone was like, oh, great movie. All right, Infinity War, like, let's go. And so for that reason, I think it's definitely underrated. And yeah, it be- belongs on this list. That's All right, fair. Clem, close it out. All right, this one's tough here. I got it. I got it like... Again, it goes my three, and then it gets a little, it gets a little nuance here. And based on the way we're both, we're both looking at different ways. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, this is tense. <laughs> this is a tense one. This one's gonna, all right, this one's gonna go one way or the other. I'm just ripping it. It's the rat from Endgame. He's the most underrated character in the entire. <laughs> oh <universe>. my god! <laughs> and I feel like he he did get his shine for a brief moment there as soon as Endgame came out. But the further we stray dude. from the events of Endgame, I'm just gonna say that's the dude that you know that was the one in forty whatever million blah blah blah. Um, that dude. It, it, none of this is possible. None of yeah. us are here right now. The snap never gets unsnapped. All that kind of stuff. Um, I'll I'll get into my honorable mentions after you guys yeah. draft and all that stuff, but. Uh, I just had to go with, with basically that's my dude. I think I, so after Endgame came out, I had like my MVP ballot and I think I had him like three or five. I had him pretty high on the list. So, uh, and everyone else on that list is, you know, a heavy hitter that you could never say is underrated. I feel he's not going to have a monument for him, right? Like everyone, right. Tony Stark. I always said that, um, uh, Harry Stamper in Armageddon, like there should be Harry Stamper day, his birthday. They should remember, you know, everyone has off from school. There should be a statue because he saved the world. Tony Stark. 
times a million for that, right? Because he brought people back and then he saved the world from Thanos. He should have Tony Stark day every day, all that kind of stuff. Um, Endgame rat. He's just some little faceless rat that's probably dead by the time the Endgame events happen. He lives in a San Francisco parking garage or whatever. Like, just an absolute nightmare. So, I got to shout out the Endgame rat. Give him the shine he deserves. King. You want to talk king? That's a king right there. Poor pizza rat getting just shut down by this, you know, soft San Francisco rat over there. You know? <laughs> probably, probably a third of the size and, you know, twice the fame. It's crazy. Uh we should have a rat draft because Master Splinter's on there. Ooh. And, you know, there's a lot of good rats out there. Uh, the rat from The Departed. That's yeah, my one. Yeah, yeah, Matt Damon, great rat. Um, <laughs> a lot of good stuff. But uh, that's, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I said earlier that there's only one right decision, but uh, this is the only right decision. The most underrated. This is one in 14 million. This is the 14 million <laughs> 14 right million, here. Yeah. This rat, it's great. It's a great pick. Yeah, I, I love I it, it's half comedy when you started it as like a joke pick. But the more you talk about it, the more I think about it. No, like this might just be the most underrated character, because in terms of, you know, we, we're, if we're going to make sports metaphors like this is the guy that sets the pick that makes the play happen. Like, you know, yeah. you need this rat in order for the Mobius strip and for one in 14 million to actually get executed. So uh, a great pick. Not one David was- Ross in game seven. That's what it yep. is. Putting one That's- over left field. That is what it is. And I, I, another quick shout out, just I think it's the My Mom's Basement Boys, Matt, because Robbie Fox, we did a draft of the best, uh, who would make like the best MMA fighter in the MCU. And this man, no one even thought of it. He chose Taskmaster. And I'm like, genius, because he mimics your fighting style. So <laughs> you guys over at My Mom's Basement are thinking on another level. So I, I got to tip my cap. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we, I feel like we kind of go a different direction when we do our recaps, like our dumb, weird brains. Uh, Pornoy always says like Barstool is the magnet for weird brains. So the weird brains come out sometimes and stuff like that. So I don't know how I love it. I love it. I don't, I don't know how to respond with my final pick, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, one. I feel like would be uh, remiss if, it, if he wasn't on this list. Uh, a lot of, a lot of dark world, a lot of Thor characters getting their shine um you know this week well not this week we're recording uh in the future this this draft but lady sif returning in loki uh uh, what's her name darcy lewis returning in wandavision i heimdall man heimdall is such an underrated character in the mcu matt i don't even feel bad because you stole so much from me when you've gotten the second pick so you know what this this is this is coming back now uh heimdall's great idris elba is such a fantastic actor he's someone who the MCU snatched up so early in his in his star power rise that he almost got bigger in star status than the character he was playing over the years. Like in, in 2011 and 2013, oh, that's Idris Elba. Oh, cool, he's playing Heimdall. In 2017, when you tell me Idris Elba, a guy who's been rumored to play James Bond, a guy who played the big bad in Hobbs and Shaw, which many people laugh at, like that's a summer blockbuster right there. Idris Elba playing a supporting character in Thor Ragnarok is crazy and it's just because he's he's risen so much um in star power and a lot of people will will knock the dark world everyone does it all the time uh some action scenes that i feel like go underrated when idris elba uh, heimdall has taken down those giant malekith ships all by himself on the rainbow bridge it's super uh, i can't even say memorable because people forget it but it's it's action heavy and he packs a punch and he's a character that i feel uh, i'd love to see him get his shine in the future but i just it's it's the fact that he's now Idris Elba, and I don't think he could ever return in a way that would suit the Heimdall character. And I really don't think we're getting a solo movie uh, anytime soon. And uh, underrated, we talked about setting the pick to make the play in motion. If he doesn't send Hulk back to warn that Thanos is coming, 
how how much do are the Avengers able to prepare uh, when Infinity War rolls around? So Heimdall, my final pick, belongs on this draft. Might just be the face of underrated characters in the MCU. That was so my pick, man. That was so my He's pick. broken. You broke him. I was him. so ready for it, dude. I damn it, damn it. Um, I think his role in Thor Ragnarok alone puts him on this list, just because he played such a badass character, protecting the people of uh, protecting the people of um Asgard while everything was going on, and he did such a great job at it. He was so low key in the first two Thor movies to really pop out in Ragnarok, and then obviously in Infinity War. Damn it, you. Damn it, you, uh- Liam. And, you know, that's part of the reason I chose Killmonger, too. And it's, it's two different parts of their career, but uh, I'm a Wire guy. It's my favorite show by him. I've watched, I think I've watched like 12 times Damn. the series over and over. I just love it. And Stringer Bell and, you know, Young Wallace, Michael B. Jordan, who only, you know, was in Wire for one season. Um, like, there's just something about seeing the two of them just makes my heart flutter. And uh, Heimdall, like it's kind of the anti Jennifer Lawrence where I think she became such a big star with the X-Men. They kind of had to make mystique bigger than they wanted to where Heimdall, he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. No. Getting the garbage, garbage points and, you know, send the picks and, you know, doing whatever. So uh, that's the great, great pick all around. For sure. Um, my last pick, I really have to pivot here hard. I'm not going to lie because I could pick three different Black Panther characters here, and I feel like I shouldn't do that <laughs> with my team, right? So um, I'm going to pivot here, sports analogy theme pot, uh, draft here, which I love. Um, you know, we've talked about the guys who get the garbage points, like you said, Clem, or the guys who, you know, do the hard work by setting picks, you know, playing good defense, stuff like that. I'm going to get the glue guy. I'm going to get the guy on the bench. Uh, you know, Clem, uh, uh, Dan Katz always talks about, you know, he wants to be the guy in the dugout just you know cheering everybody on right you know the yeah. glue guy on the team who when he needs to he'll step up and make a big hit but you'll never see it coming kind of thing so i'm gonna pick ben mendelson's talos from captain marvel i think that this character gets buried in the problems of that movie a lot of people don't like captain marvel from a story standpoint they don't like brie larson's performance they don't like that it's a prequel set two months before Endgame, you know what I mean? There's a lot of problems with that movie overall, but I think Talos, the head scroll, has a really awesome role as being the plot twist. He is the plot twist of that movie. We all expected the scrolls to be the bad guys. They turn around. Plus, I don't think anybody here can deny, I don't care how much you don't like Captain Marvel, he's hilarious in that movie. He is so funny with, you know, he's supposed to be my science guy. You know, all that stuff, just his quips, (laughs) his accent, just his demeanor, everything about him, what we saw from him in Far From Home. I think, you know, he had a really awesome little, at the very end, you know, know, being ashamed that he got done over as a shapeshifter. I think that was really fun character development. And I just think that this is a character who has a role that gets lost in the shuffle of an unliked movie that excelled in his role within that movie and will continue to excel in secret invasion. Plus Ben Mendelsohn, dude, he just kills, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, there's never a movie he's in where I'm like, Oh dang it. It's been, no, it's can we get some girls in here? And I just want that every single time he steps on screen. And I think we got it there in Talos. So yeah, that rounds out the draft with Talos, a lot less of a reaction. I thought I was going to get from the crowd here. So claim <laughs> you're going to finish up with the team of, Groot, Killmonger, and the Rat from Endgame. Liam, you're going to end up with Rocket Raccoon, Wong, and Heimdall, damn you. Matt, me, I'm going to have Nebula, Okoye, and Talos. Clint, thank you so much for joining us, dude. It was an absolute pleasure. I'd love to come back soon. I'd love to talk back, chop chop it up about, you know, whatever's going on in the, the universes of, mm-hmm. you know, the Marvel of Marvel or another like draft, anything. I love this stuff. And Kalos was a good pick. 
I'll tell you, I, I don't know much about the Kree and the scrolls, but I felt one way about the scrolls and Talos made me feel like an, like a two inches tall when he, you know, went through his whole thing and the family stuff and all that. And he was absolutely, he, he killed it in the movie. So I'll, I'll give you credit for that tip of the cap. Well done. And it, it was a blast guys. I, I hope I, I apologize. I brought a lot of like weird sports references into it. That's oh, the way no, my no, dumb, no, 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 no. but I had a blast. I had a blast. <laughs> That's what we try to do here. That's why we want to do one because we love your personality and we love having you on. And we're going to have you on again soon. Maybe we get you and Robbie on for a four man draft someday. You know what I'm saying? You know, do it up big. The direct meets Barstool. I love it. And then we can also, can we also like occasionally slander Captain America to Robbie just to see how mad he gets? Like we could just like, it's just, you know, tongue in cheek. He gets so bad when you slander Captain America. Keep that one in your head next time. Yeah, Robbie's yeah, on. Yeah. Check, so check, check out my boy real quick though. I mean, like <laughs> that's kind of his thing. That's kind of his, me and know, you can't. Me and you can't up on these skinny kids, huh? Hey, hey, Matt, I don't know if that's a draft, but that sure sounds like a debate. Oh, whoa, wait. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Big words. Big words coming from Groot over there. Plant the seed. Hey, I'm in though. I'll be on your team, buddy. I got you. I got you. Well, if, if Robbie's the pro cap guy, you know, who knows? All right. Matt and Clem take on Showdown. Liam. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Clem. We'll see you next time. That was a quick question. That was a sizzle reel. That was an interview with Loki composer Natalie Holt. That was an MCU ranking segment. That was a direct draft. And that's an episode, episode 43 of the Direct Podcast. Thank you all so, so much for supporting the show. As I said at the top, those iTunes reviews are what make packed shows like this possible. Uh, They are what will make eventually two episodes a week possible as well. We cannot wait to continue to evolve this show and to continue to bring new growth to it as the weeks go on. But before then, we do have some interests outside of the crazy, wacky world of comic book and Star Wars movies and movie news. So John Ross, I'll go to you first. Your first time ever, I believe, your weekly recommendation for the people this week. What you got for me? Uh, So I know this is old, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's just that good. You guys got to watch Chris Pratt's The Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. That movie is bonkers amazing. It's a perfectly written original story that doesn't feel derivative of all the alien movies you've seen before. So if you want good action, if you want Chris Pratt and Yvonne Strahovski from NBC's Chuck, if you remember her, and if you want a jacked J.K. Simmons in a tank top, watch The Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. You will not be disappointed. Well, it looks like I'm going to be busy this weekend because I also have a movie that I want to recommend, even though I haven't seen it. I'm going to recommend In the Heights because I want to catch up on my Leslie Grace, and it's not that hard to go through her entire filmography because, as I said, there's just one but i'm a big fan of musicals i'm a big fan of lin-manuel miranda and it's been on my radar for a while i have hbo max i don't know why i haven't pressed play yet but this uh news of batgirl is what's going to get me there so everyone join me in watching in the heights always though after you finish watching the tomorrow war of course um but one one recommendation (laughs) i'll also add to that uh that i am familiar with I recently discovered a band on Apple Music called Girlfriends. I've been listening to them for listening to one of their songs, actually, for a couple weeks now. But they kept popping up in my new music playlist every week. And all of a sudden, I have 80% of their debut album added uh, to my library. So (laughs) Girlfriends, if you're if you're not familiar, they're an alternative (laughs) pop punk band. And I'm wildly impressed with what they got so far. And uh, if anyone, you know, adheres to my weekly recommendations you know how big of a pop punk fan i've become in the past six months and uh that's one to look out for girlfriends so 
your uh, checklist to do this week, Tomorrow War, In the Heights, and listen to some girlfriends. John Ross, before we get out of here, where can the people find you? I am on Twitter almost every day. You can find me at JRB underscore direct. Um, and I also frequent in the direct Discord server. So if you guys want to hop in there, I'll, I tweet the link out to it every so often. And we have some great conversations about quite literally all of this stuff. So if you want to come talk to us, I'll tweet the link. You can find me at JRB underscore direct on Twitter. And be sure to check out all of his Funko articles, which are on the website, like at least once a week. He's the one who always gets tapped to write about <laughs> alligator, Loki, the new Captain America suit, so much stuff. And I got to get my hands on a couple of them before they sell out. As for myself, I'm at Liam T. Crowley anywhere and everywhere, just like John Ross. I'm, I'm on the Twitter machine way too often. So if you ever want to interact and uh, tell me what you like, what you don't like about Marvel, DC, Star Wars, any of that stuff. I'm happy to. I love when the listeners interact. I love this community that we're building and I love the direct.com. Until then, I'll be sure to catch you all next week on episode 44. Take care. The first time I picked you, I felt like the last time. The last time that we had sex felt like the first time. What happens next? Because I like to know. How are we doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. How about yourself? Good to hear. Yeah. Living the life. Got myself a new, I don't know how much of a graphic novel reader you are, but uh, Avengers Forever picked this up today. Oh, Apparently it's like, it's like the premier Kang story. So I'm very excited to dive into it. Nice. It's a good time to read that one. Yeah. That's what, that's what the checkout lady said. She said, is this because of Loki? And I said, you, you betcha. So did you get it from like a local shop or what? Yeah, we have a place, uh, the town over from me called New England Comics, and they are fantastic. Oh, wow, sweet. Super generous. Uh, she gave me like 20% 20, 20 off just for making conversation. I'm like, hey, thank you. Like, that's, that's nice. <laughs>